All right. Now, um, many of you are not feeling that engaged by the discussion, which is interesting in itself, considering that you wanted it. Remember when we asked you what do you want to talk about? So, so um, what, what do you feel is the reasons for that? What, what do you feel is the reason why, the, for the lack of in, engagement to the subject so far? Um, it could be because a lot of us just like staying in our facade selves and we don't want to really see what, how much injuries, sexual injuries that we all have and how much we really dislike being the gender that we are. Well, that, that sounded pretty intellectual as an answer. Yeah, <laughs> when you say stay in your facade self, what, what is the emotion... When we talk about sex and sexual matters, what is one of the dominant emotions on the planet with regard to sex and sexual matters? Shame. Okay, so let's just put this up. Shame. And, Jane, you mentioned one of your emotions right there at the end. Can you remember? Yeah, yeah how much... Um, oh, I know personally for myself I don't like being a woman, so, yeah, yeah. that's so being my gender. So and anger about being yeah. a woman. Yeah. anger and then, yeah, probably shame or fear as well. Yeah. yeah. With regard to sex, why is it that sex causes so much feelings of shame when sex is just like... We all, we all have sexual organs... <laughs> We all, uh, like, uh, like, we all have legs and we all have arms and we all have sexual organs as well. So why is it that when we start discussing the sexual organs and, the, and our responses that shame seems to be the dominant emotion? When, you know, if we talk, start talking about your legs and your arms, you know, you, you, you'd be, well, why are we even talking about this? this isn't, <laughs> you know, that, that, that'd be relatively unimportant subjects. Why, why is the sexual subject such a thing? That, uh, I feel that it's um, for me related to um, rejection too. And well, let's look at that. So there's the issues of rejection, yeah. A rejection of what though, do I? Can we be more specific? Well, rejection of myself or rejection oh, okay. of, of a man and my uh, shame around the, the rejection that I have of, of men. Okay, well. um, what about not only of self, but of bodily functions? Yep. Right. Anything else that we can think if we can take the mic? We'll work our way across. <laughs> if we bring the other Does mic. someone else have their hand up after so, this one? Yeah, yep. whoever else had a hand yep. up. So Shall I say it? Yes, yes. Yes, far away. Well, I would have thought that it's because we're brought up to cover everything up and because our, especially our, our sexual organs down here are close to uh, our waste um, disposal, <laughs> you know how to put it, I don't know. <laughs> so we associate, we, we associate it as something dirty, but we're brought dirty up to feel private. Yeah, we're, we're, yes. we're told we have to cover even our, our, our breasts we have to cover. Men don't have to cover their breasts. But we do because uh, the, these are the things that we've got nipples that feed the children, and it's so we're just. It's a whole well, isn't the fact that a woman covers her breast primarily because men view them as sexual objects? Yes, isn't that the yeah. main cause? Yeah. And the reality is, men do view them as sexual objects. So that there is, whereas most women don't view a man's chest as a sexual object necessarily. <laughs> some some may, but. <laughs> Can you see the difference, like, obviously? And but, so, yeah. but, but you're right, there is this thing of being feeling dirty 
uh, with regard to sexual matters. Which is actually our parents' shame imposed upon us, isn't it? Yep. Cover that up. Any, yeah. Yep, anything else? Uh, we were over here. Yep. I don't know if this works or not. Right no, it is working. Okay. Um, lots of heavy guilt from uh, churches. Guilt? Tons not of just it. from churches, actually. A lot of or the... judgment against sexuality. Good judgment, yeah. But a lot of this stuff, like the church, the one thing we must realise is the church is just a reflection of society. Yeah. So the reality is that many of the church's uh, impositions upon a particular group of people are actually just the society using religion as a way to project their own feelings towards the group of people. So, for example, if a group of people feel something's dirty, then they'll create a religion that actually teaches that that particular thing is dirty. Right. Does that well, make sense? And they'll yeah, hold on sense. to that teaching. And they'll hold on to that yeah. teaching as long as they possibly can. And then if you, if you feel different and you, you just, you know, you, your instinct feels that this is not okay or why should it be okay the day after you get married and the day before not? That's what my mom told me. She says... I mean, and she grew up in the generation where it was absolutely not okay, except for having children and so on. She said, that already didn't make sense to me. Yep. And I remember before, when I had my first boyfriend, for a whole year, I had a, um, a diary where I just was grappling with the guilt. And, you know, because I grew up in the Catholic Church, yep. it was not okay, unless you were married and all that. It's, exactly. it's huge. Mm. So belief systems certainly yeah. impose their shame upon you yeah obviously so yeah. it's not necessarily that we personally feel shame but what actually happens is the belief systems impose their shame so what we're talking about there is really a group of emotions where we are invested in other people's opinion of us yeah but even if you, if you know deep in your gut it's wrong then you get into conflict what is imposed on you by your parents or society where you happen to live mm -hmm. and what your own feelings are well what i'm saying to you though in return is that when I'm invested in my parents' viewpoints more than my own, yeah. that then causes me to feel shame about my own. Right. That's but where the conflict comes from. That's where from. the conflict comes yeah. from. Like, for example, if you came up to me now and said, oh, you're, you're a dirty cow because you're sleeping with this man and you're not married, yeah. I'd go, oh, I feel pretty dirty about a lot of other things, but that, I, that's <laughs> not one of them, you know, because yeah. I'm not invested in yeah, what okay. you think about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but if you said uh, that Mary was dirty because of some things she did in the first century... Or even this she life. Would say, or even in this life, she would feel yeah. quite differently. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So, so we, we take on the opinions of others based on what is already yeah. unhealed within ourselves, is the principle there. Yep. But you're right, belief systems certainly have a large effect on our willingness and openness to discuss matters of sexuality. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Who, where else? Pauline? This is very similar, but slightly different. It's the fear of unwanted pregnancy. Uh, well, would it be more the guilt of unwanted pregnancy or, or the fear well, there's of... there's a history of this in my family. Right, yes. And, so. um, linked to the Catholic Church. Shall we call and it unwanted results? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so they might not just be pregnancy? Might not be pregnancy. Yes. It could also be... Uh, Disease. venereal diseases Disease. and so forth. Yeah. But let's look at the unwanted pregnancy. Historically, if a woman, a young woman, was unmarried and got pregnant, she, she would normally be put in isolation for at least the nine-month period that she was pregnant. She would be ostracised and criticised, and many of them, generationally, were then taken and completely expelled from the family. They wouldn't, weren't even allowed... The father and the mother would treat them as sluts, 
and that they would never, ever see them again. Yes. Now, the threat of that is pretty yes. painful emotionally. Yeah. So, so it's we, no wonder... Yeah, I, have, I have met a woman in a psychiatric institution who's been in there since the age of 16. Yeah. She was around 60 because of pregnancy yeah. at the age of 16. Yeah, yeah, it's so, sad, okay. eh? Um, just because of the condemnation of the environment yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. So unwanted results is a, is a big issue. We, we, for some reason, like we, if we have some kind of a skin injury, we go, oh, yeah, we've just got an injury. But if we have a genet like a, a venereal disease, now that's quite shameful. Can you see there's a big difference between those two things? There is also a soul, some soul-based reasons why we also have a sensitivity to sexual matters that are actually based on pure emotions. What do you think they may be? Do you understand Evil. my question? Do you understand? Can I explain my question? Um, Something with, yeah. There are some pure things within the soul regarding sexuality that we've already taught you today that may also be the result of... The, uh, may, may also be one of the uh, reasons why we have a tendency towards shame about the issues. Yeah, I think it's that we know about our soulmate and that there is... Uh, something wrong having sex the way we do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in other words, at some level we know truth that there is just one connection, one person. And when we look at our sexual past, we haven't had just one person, most people haven't. And so all of a sudden there's a lot of shame about our past as a result. You see, this is the I suppose you could say what appears to be the negative part of truth is that we often then feel ashamed about our own life and judge our own life in comparison with that truth. And we often do that. And that's certainly a huge issue for me. Um, and obviously there's a, um, the truth is quite strong in my soul, even though I was in quite heavy denial of it for a long time. So even my sexual responsiveness and my orgasm, like... Um, I'm working through recently um, the fact that that was very shut down because I had this sense that it should be for my soulmate and it wasn't, I wasn't engaged with my soulmate and so um, I even found it difficult to orgasm and be engaged with, with other people, mm. yeah. Yep. Yep. So often we have this feeling of what is right within us and when we do what is the opposite to the feeling of what is right... There is a saying uh, that our conscience, which is the inbuilt mechanism we have to know what the difference between right and wrong is, our conscience bothers us. And when our conscience bothers us and we don't allow ourselves to feel why it's bothering us, we often feel emotions of shame or guilt rather than feeling the reason yeah. why our conscience is bothering us, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, who else was that? Nico, did Nico you was at the back up? there. Yeah. We could go out the back and die. Who's next? I just want to say exactly that that most of my time uh, in my life, I used sexuality as a tool to feel like a man. Mm -hmm. But in my heart, I knew that something was wrong with this. Yeah. Yeah. And because I used it, and I, and then it comes the other fact that I allowed. With the same respect, aspect, uh, yes, aspect to be used from other people. Yes. 
And there is where is a lot of guilt and anger towards myself. How could I allow that? Because you know, you know the truth, but you allowed it. So could a I? Betrayal. So could I say, as a summary of what you're saying, that we bartered. We know the truth that bartering sex is damaging. And we sort of begin to feel that as well, don't we? Like we get into the barter, it feels okay because we got satisfied what we were trying to avoid or what... But after a while it goes, oh, it doesn't feel good, yeah. Yep. So many of us in sexual relationships have become used to bartering sex. as a. It's almost like a commodity that is universal. It's even more universal than the money we have because all of us have different types of dollars and, and so forth. But sex is a universal commodity. It's a commodity we can use with anybody in, on the planet, pretty much, if we wish to, in order to get what we want and satisfy what they want. And for myself, I, I even was willing to... Um, I, the barter for me was touch. I wanted to be held and touched. And I was willing to have sex just to have that one thing met. Uh, yeah. And we were discussing this a few weeks ago, uh, a few days ago, myself and Mary, that it's interesting that every time we barter something for another thing, it's often that we don't get the other thing anyway. Yeah. So what Sorry, Mary who found did I attract? Yeah. was that in the bartering of the sex for the touch, she finished up not having very satisfying sex, but also having no person hang around and touch her afterwards. Does that make sense? Mm. So often that occurs. Joy down the front there. Uh, we, oh, sorry, die. We were die next. Sorry. So let's go die first. Um, a lot of my unloving actions are associated with sex, uh, with men. Okay. And if I have a desire to love, I'm very confronted about by, about, about that. the unloving actions. Yeah, that's yep. very good. So again, we know the truth that we're being we are being unloving. We have been unloving. Or we have been unloving. And that's so. Can you see some of the some of the uh, shame and guilt and everything is all related to emotions that are nothing like that there's nothing wrong in reality. But some of the emotions related to our shame and guilt are that we have reasons to be ashamed and guilty about the choices we've made with sexuality. So, so there is this mixed. This is the conundrum with sexual uh, desire and sexual attraction: is that some of the emotions that we think are impure are actually pure. And then some of the emotions that we think are pure or we've believed were pure in the past were actually impure and there's a lot of confusion about which one's pure, which one's not pure and so therefore there's a lot of confusion about our emotions in dealing with sexual attraction as a result. Yeah? Joy? Um, just like what you were saying, I think it's, um, um, particularly in the age that I was brought up, lack of information and education, like it wasn't even talked about. Very true. There was yep. no communication and there were no words. But so. why was there no communication in that generation? There was an, as underlying emotional reasons why there's no communication. Well, because they were ashamed, I guess. Yes. So the problem is, is if the adult generation feels shame about sex and sexuality mm. issues, they're imposing those feelings of shame and guilt immediately upon mm. any child that's, that's now conceived. Mm. And so the, by the time the child is born and growing, the child is now also feeling all these issues and shame and nobody wants to talk about it. The child can't go to the parent and say, oh, mummy, 
you know, I actually had this happen to me the other day to my vagina or my penis and whatever, and, and mummy just goes into a meltdown because she feels so ashamed about the whole thing. And so what do we learn to do? We learn to not discuss it openly. And we also then... And, and the problem is information then goes underground. So in other words, a lot of people then start getting information through pornography and other means rather than it just being openly talked about and therefore there's very little need to go underground to get information about sex and sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Any other things you see, Dennis? Yeah, uh, about <coughs> 18 months ago I finished a relationship because I, I just felt um, I was being used, but even worse, I felt I was using. Yep. Yeah, it was just... And when that hit me as an emotion, it was just... <laughs> blew me away. Yeah, so what you're saying really is the more sensitive you became to love, the less willing you were now yeah, and the more ashamed you yeah. felt of your behaviour yeah. when you were unloving and just using. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. tremendous. Yeah. That's, that's the beautiful thing about developing our soul and opening, isn't it? We begin to become far more sensitive to what's loving and what isn't and it guides us. Even if we don't know the overarching rules, we feel like, oh, nope, I know that's not going to lead to good things. Yeah. yeah. So, so can you see um, there's, two, there's these two sides to the issue. There's the side of the issue where, which you could say are these sides to the issue, which are all of these... It's like injuries imposed upon us, isn't In, it? Yeah, injuries imposed upon us by our environment that cause us then to feel certain things about sex and sexuality that we feel that we then can't discuss openly and truthfully the desires and passions and longings that we have within us. And then on this other side, we have a knowing, sort of like an inside understanding or knowing of the truth inside of us, a, what we call a soul knowing, if you could call it, a soul instinct about the truth about it and whenever we conflict or our actions have conflicted with those soul-based instincts of surrounding love then what finishes up happening is we feel bad about ourselves and therefore feel shame and therefore feel guilt and feel a bad conscience and it triggers us and, and, and we then feel like we don't want to discuss that. When you think about it, not wanting to discuss that is all really about just not being humble enough to our emotion. Not being humble to admit that, yes, I have bartered sex. Yes, I have been unloving in my sexual interactions. Yes, I might have, you know, I might have had some kind of sexual disease as a result of my use of sex, for example. Yes, I have had other things happen. You know, I've, I've had many, let's say, my, yes, I've had many, many... Um, and these, these, I'm not saying these from my perspective. So a lot of people, when I quote things... They then quote me as saying, this has happened to me, and then they get all... That's the next media... Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I have had a venereal disease. Yeah. Yes, I have. Right. Uh, and I haven't. But, but the reality <laughs> is that what I'm saying is even if I had have, right, then there's this instinct inside of us knowing, well, something was wrong there, something was up there, and there's an instinct then of feeling, well, something was wrong, but then there's this feeling of condemnation of ourselves... And, it, and then also an unwillingness to discuss openly that condemnation of us or that feeling that we had. Yeah, and in, in my experience, the way that I have been um, most manipulated sexually and uh, the way I've actually entered into things that cause me more and more shame is through the avoidance of acknowledging my shame, whether they be sort of 
shame as a result of my sole instinct or shame as a result of injuries imposed upon me. While I lived in denial of that shame and the truth of what really went on, that is when I became more and more disconnected with sex in a sex and love as one entity as they there's sh- the, I believe that's the most harmonious way to experience sex and I also at, through the law of attraction obviously accumulated more shame because I was I didn't want to feel these things so then I would enter into exchanges as a result of denying those emotions does that make sense yeah Okay, so, so the question then becomes, well, the only way to heal in things regarding sexual attraction that are out of harmony with the way God designed them to be is firstly to intellectually even acknowledge that they are out of harmony, which means we have to at some point have a discussion about the issues. Now, if we're already resistive to having a discussion about the issues... How are we ever going to feel the emotion about the issues? Can you see? So, so while all of these things are true, that there are injuries that we have imposed upon us that cause us to feel shame, and while, yes, that's also true, that we do have a soul instinct to what's loving, and every time we've been unloving, we do feel also some shame or guilt or a bad conscience. At the end of the day, whether we feel a bad conscience or we have injuries imposed we still need to enter the, the discussion before anything can be resolved. And we need to enter the, uh, open, have an openness to entering the discussion about our emotions, about the particular things that guide our sexual attractions. So this is where many people have a lot of difficulty. For instance, many heterosexual males would have a lot of trouble admitting any single time that they felt an attraction to another male. Can you see that? And many heterosexual females will have usually difficulty doing the same and admitting to an attraction they had with another female. Many of us also would be very resistive to talking about our sexual history. It's interesting, we're totally open about talking about every other piece of history generally that we have. People come and tell us for hours. Yeah, what their other histories are. But when it comes to our sexual history, we don't want to examine it. And what I'm suggesting to you, if you want to heal sexual attraction so that sexual attraction comes into line with the way God designed it, and that is, right at the beginning we said that what that was, that is that you will only ever be sexually attracted to your soulmate no matter who else is around. That's the pure way that God designed. Then what we're going to have to do to get to that point is we're going to have to discuss our sexual attraction by looking at our sexual history in terms of what we have done in the past. We're going to need to have an openness emotionally and also even intellectually to feeling about our sexual history before we can discover the real reasons why things happen. Now, what I've found in my own progression and what I've noticed in almost everybody else who's trying to progress um, is that there is a deep resistance 
many times to discussing the history about anything in particular, but particularly their sexual history. And this deep resistance then causes us to not be able to heal particular things. And the ironic thing about our sexual history mm. is that most of the time it was not created by any warped sexual desires or passions. The reality is, and this is a basic truth, that our sexual history was created most of the time by our unhealed emotions not related to sex at all, but actually related to other emotions and feelings. So as Mary's written there, most sexual injury is not related to sex. This is the sad irony of our inability to be open in the discussion. Because the sad irony is we don't want to be truthful and honest about our sexual history because we should feel shame and guilt. Some of the shame is understandable because we did shameful things sometimes and some of the shame is not understandable in that it was imposed upon us by our environment. But either way, we don't want to discuss it because at the end of the day, we feel there's something inside of us that must be terribly warped. Right? Something inside of me, and, and it's interesting, many people on the planet feel this anyway, that there's something inside of me <laughs> that's terribly badly damaged and warped, and there's something wrong with me. There's, there's basically something intrinsically wrong with my nature that caused me to do this shameful thing that I, that I remember in the past. And the reality is that most of the shameful things that we've done in the past, even the shameful things we've done sexually, are not related to sexual things at all. They're actually related to other emotions and the intensity of the other emotions driving this opening of our sexual desires. Remember the discussion we had earlier about the chakras and how they were in codependent, a codependent sympathy uh, in terms of a codependent addiction that's in sympathy between the male and the female creates an openness of a flow of energy, yes? And then in this process of this flow of emotional energy, we then feel what most of us would term sexual desire or horny. We feel horny or se- some sign of sexual desire. Now, many times these sexual desires are totally unrelated to things that we think they're related to. That's the sad thing. And our lack of ability to discuss it openly is actually making it more hidden than what it needs to be. And it takes us further away from uncovering what's driving that injury, mm. what's driving that desire. Yeah. And so this is where it's very important with sexual attraction and sexual injuries. We need to start being willing to examine them even though we are ashamed or even though we have been ashamed of our past behaviour. We need to examine them. We need to stop justifying any behaviour that's out of harmony with the pure statement. This is, and when I say we need to, it's up to you whether you do it. But if you want to be at one with God and you want to be at one with your soulmate, at some point there needs to be a recognition of any emotion that prevents those two things from being true. And the sexual history is guided by injuries not related to sex that we need to discuss. Otherwise, if we don't heal them, we'll end up feeling no closer to our soulmate and no closer to God eventually because eventually we need to heal everything within us, including our sexual injuries, to be closer to God. So that being the case, 
what do we need to do? Well, what we need to do is we need to start discussing the link between sexual feelings and emotions that are in, in addiction with each other. Do, do you see that? We need to see the relationship between these two things. We need to understand more fully what sexual attraction really is, what actually causes this feeling of sexual attraction. And we've already discussed some of those things, but let's discuss it in a bit more detail regarding injuries. Shall we do that? In terms of how sexual attraction... So we know that if, we're all, if we, if we ha carry no injury, our sexual attraction is naturally and harmoniously only for our soulmate. So it's, that's the pure state. That's the pure state. But the situation on the planet at the moment is that for most of us, we've got injuries around our sexuality... So when we're healed, it's only for our soulmate. Now, if we start on that basis that Mary said, that's the basis that we start all of the discussions with. So if we assume... For a moment, even though you may not believe that, let's just assume for a moment that this is the pure state. Just, just assume that that's the pure state. Can you see if that's the pure state, any time when we have felt differently to that must be an impure state or an unloving state? Or injured. Can or we say in, injured? Should we call it injured state? Yes. Now, what we need to do, firstly, is we need to stop... Stop um, condemning ourselves for our injuries. <laughs> you, you can't examine your injuries openly while you're condemning yourself for having them. Right? Because it's, only, it's the condemnation of them that causes us to go underneath and go, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, don't talk to me about that. Right? That's what causes all of our injuries to go underground, our own judgmental, or judgmental attitude towards them. So what we need to do is say, all right, except, yes, there's many times in my life when I have not feel, felt this pure state. So that means in those times I was in an injured state. That's our first point that we, that we need to be aware of. If I have not felt this state, then I was automatically in this state. Also, we need to stop condemning our injuries. We need to allow ourselves to see ourselves as we really are. We just had a discussion with Anna. Where is she? Remember you were saying, hooray, I can see that I'm so ugly I'm at the moment. Oh, right, right, right. I'm controlling. I can so see controlling. that I'm controlling. <laughs> In other words, we can be happy that we can see the truth about ourselves <laughs> even when the truth isn't very pleasant. And, and why, right? why were you happy, Anna? Of the puns. If we use. <laughs> yeah. Um, whoa. <laughs> the, the epiphany of the puns come. Um, yeah. Because you feel joyful that you've, like, you've heard for so long you're controlling or, you know, you have these injuries. And then when you see it in your heart and you feel it, it's like, oh, I can finally see this and it feels good, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, I can see, I can that see can... all this error and it's exciting because I can finally see it. Yeah. Why is it exciting to see the error? 
Because um, then it's like, then I know who I really am and then I can, like, work so, from there. Yeah, yeah. You, can ch- you're, you can change. When you're just talking about it or thinking about it and not feeling it, you, how can you change it? I can't it? take any action from Just a place. concept. Yeah. 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 So the first point was that you know what you are at last, but the second point, which is the more important one, isn't it? Is I can take a step I can from change. You see, while I'm trying to shove any shameful things under the carpet or any past history under the carpet or any of those kind of things, while I'm trying to put it under the carpet, I'm not able to change. I'm condemning myself to not changing. As soon as I can know what I am at last and see myself as I truly am in the mirror, I can now, there's, there's this beauty in it, and that is, I can change. I can get from this point to a different place. I can get from the injured state to the pure state if I want to. Right? And it's all based on, on my desire if I want to. I can get from that state to the other. Yeah? Okay. Anna and I were laughing because I was saying, yes, I know I'm pond scum. <laughs> I'm lower than low. <laughs> it comes from a movie, actually. But yeah. anyway. That was the pond scum analogy. Yeah. Not many get it because no, they probably haven't seen it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so let's look at the injured state that we may do particular things in. All right? And let's, rather than condemning this injured state, let's start examining what is actually going on in terms of from an emotional perspective. What is actually happening? A denial of what emotions. Now, what are some of the most taboo sexual practices that you can think of that most people, you know, don't even want to discuss? I don't know how to spell it. What's that? Pedophilia. Pedophilia? In other words, uh, sex with children or desire for sex with children? Yes. Um, Sex with animals? Right. Bestiality? Is it, is it with an A? I don't think uh, it is. Bad spelling, both. Um, <laughs> oh, and behind as well. And one. behind, too. Yeah. Oh, anal sex? Sorry? Anal, anal sex? Anal sex, yes. Necrophilia? Necrophilia, which is sex with dead, dead people. people. Is it? Yep. I'll, I'll write it as that rather than necrophilia. Yeah, Diana? Incest. incest. Incest, which we've got as pedophilia, oh. yeah? Well, yeah. It, yeah. yeah or incest, if you yeah. like, yeah. yeah Both. Well, let's yeah. put it in there, yeah? Sometimes that's adult as yeah. well. What else? Joy, thank you. Uh, forced sex, like rape. Yeah, rape, um, anything that's like bondage and all that sort of stuff. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, so, so uh, well, there's a difference between those yes. two because yeah. one of them is... One of them is... Um, With what do they call it? Fr- consensual. consensual. Well, I was going to say, yeah, bondage can be one or the other as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's go for... Uh, let's go for... Um, What's it, what does S&M stand for? That's what they call it, isn't it? Sadism and masochism. S&M. Yeah. Um, bondage. bondage. And that's different to things like rape and abuse, right? 
so yep, uh, swinging. Swinging. Yep. That's like where you swap partners. Swap partners. Yep. Partner swapping. Yep. How are you all feeling? Is everyone breathing? <laughs> I can see this is another beautiful uh, image for the next media <laughs> expose. Yeah. Don't think that's what we're promoting. Yeah. <laughs> injured, injured. Yeah. Prostitution? Prostitution, yep. Yeah. Groups. Group so sex. threesomes or more, yep. A sacred, a tantric sacred sex? I'm just going to put inverted commas around the sacred there. Because a lot of it is very, not very sacred. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Masturbation, yes. So let's keep going. There are many religions who also condemn oral sex. In fact, there's many religions that condemn sex for any other purpose other than having a child. Yeah. So pleasure, <laughs> sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure yeah, itself. Yeah, really Let's leave that out for a moment. I think most of us are... Yeah. Joy, thank you. And, and that's um, one, like, the religions is, like, denied sex, like... I don't yes, uh, having this viewpoint that holy means to be totally uh, without sex. Which what is, is that called? Celibate. Uh, celibacy. <laughs> Mary's almost as bad as me now. Oh, she's, I'm serious. <laughs> she's getting worse. The, I told you I'd take on my, all of your my, traits. My terrible influences <laughs> for spelling is getting onto her. Um, uh, like a, a kind of dirty sex, like sex while menstruation. Ah, yes, yes, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Um, what would you call that? Uh, Sex and menstruation, I yeah. call it. Uh, then, you have, then you have things like weeing on people, um, which is more like a degradation type of... Yeah. What, so sort of, does that Sexual degradation. Yeah. Yeah. Any others you can think of? It's amazing how many things we've come up... Isn't what it? was Karen had What one? was Karen going to say? Homosexuality. Homosexuality. Homosexuality, yeah. Even that is considered. Or And can we put um, bisexuality as well? I don't know if it sort of makes It's the not same really. Thing, an, I don't know if it's an injury, but bisexuality? Yes, let's put bisexuality. Because there is a feeling that homosexuality on the planet is an injured state, but it's the reality. Too, it's a taboo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the way, we're not saying all of these are injured states. What we're saying is we want to just, you know, write down all of those things so maybe we should include homosexuality. homosexuality yeah. uh, because we're, just, we're not saying they're all injured states. What we're saying is, because some of them are and some of them aren't, what we're saying is we have all of these different belief systems about, about them. them. Yep. Uh, voyeurism, yes, that's good. V-O-Y-U-E-E. EU. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose you could say... Oh, promiscuity, maybe? 
consecutive uh, mono monogamy. <laughs> Most of us have done that, I think. Serial monogamy. Serial monogamy. Promiscuity, yeah. Promiscuity, yeah, where you've got more than one thing going at the same time. Sex with plants. Sex with, with plants. plants. Is that a possibility? I don't I heard a guy, um, he shared a story that um, he um, not scratched a hole into a tree and put a bit of meat in it oh. and then did it. <laughs> Fair enough. So... Uh, in a, inanimate objects. So let's call it inanimate objects. Like use of inanimate objects. Yeah, exactly. And should we include in that things like vibrators, um, blow-up dolls, all those kind of things, shall we? Inanimate. I-N-A-N-I-M-A-T. Sorry, what was that one? Fruits and vegetables. Okay. Use of inanimate objects, yeah. Okay. Um, asphyxiation. Uh, asphyxiation, yes. Yes, that's common, is it? Now, all these words, oh, how do you spell asphyxiation? How do you spell asphyxiation? <laughs> A, go on. A, S, P, H. Y, X, E-A-T-I-O-N. It's, it's um, Where somebody said to heighten your sexual pleasure when you... When uh, you constrict your uh, flow... Don't have oxygen to your brain. Yep. 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 Oral, Oral sex. sex for that. Have, we've almost Karen. covered most, I think, haven't we? <laughs> we exhausted the list. No, we haven't exhausted the list. Karen had one. What was... Oh, was that one? Pornography. Pornography. Yeah. Very good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Drugs, yeah. So drugs with sex, yeah. We could put that in there somewhere. Alcohol use. Are you going to go? Are we going to go through all of these, babe? We're not going to get to go through <laughs> all of these, obviously. <laughs> Any more you can think of while we're at it? Sexual rituals. Rituals, yes, sexual rituals. Yep. Exhibitionism. Exhibitionism. Mm. And what's the other? So that's very similar. Uh, sex with dead people. I probably should have written that as a... Yeah, necrophilia. Um, so exhibitionism. Ex We're doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm starting um, to worry about all of you. I know. Um, <laughs> mutilation of the sexual organs of young children. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd include that as a sexual... That, to me, that's just uh, uh, Child violent, abuse. violent <laughs> abuse. Yeah, just general abuse. Yeah. Sorry, I've just spent time. Okay, well, that's a good enough list to start with. <laughs> Isn't it? Now, every one of these things has an emotional cause, most of which are not connected with sex itself. Now, some of these things are pure. For example, homosexuality. There can be pure homosexuality in the sense that, remember we said, when healed, sexual attraction was only for your soulmate. And if your soulmate happens to be of the same gender that you are, then of course that means it's a homosexual relationship. So homosexuality could be a pure thing, could it not? 
Right? So some of those things are pure. Some of them are actually like quite negative towards yourself in the sense of um, they have quite a lot of different unloving emotions involved with different, different things. And what we need to do is we need to examine these things with a lot more clarity. Now, let's firstly deal with masturbation because it's the, one of the easiest to deal with. There's a lot of sexual to-do about masturbation. A lot of jokes about it and so forth, isn't there? You know, if a person's uh, caught masturbating, they're usually made to feel quite terrible about themselves and so forth. But the reality is quite simple. If you can't and are not allowed to touch yourself sexually, then why is anybody else allowed to touch you sexually? So to me, the whole reason why masturbation is treated as a taboo is because there is a general shame that people have about touching themselves sexually and getting pleasure from their own touch. Right? So there's a general shame present. But what happens though with masturbation is you could say sometimes masturbation is taken to the extreme. So an addiction to masturbation. So in other words, it becomes an addiction. Do you follow me? So a person may masturbate on a fairly regular basis, but then, but then they may, it may become an extreme. Now, of course, different psychologists will tell you different uh, things about what the extreme is. <laughs> you know? But in the end, much masturbation begins from a very, very simple emotion. It's a feeling of sadness about not being loved. Just simple emotion that we're just trying to avoid by having a sexual feeling instead. And in fact, the interesting things about most of the things that we've written here, not all of them, but most of them, is they all come from some kind of emotional hurt or injury as to why we have that particular desire. So masturbation is... Many people are made to feel like... They're very shameful and there's something wrong with them sexually when in fact the core reason that a person may masturbate compulsively is simply about a sense of like avoiding their own loneliness and sadness. Now the same thing applies to pornography. A lot of times pornography is actually about a person's sadness. This is why many men, more men, are involved in pornography than women generally. It's because more men carry a lot of sexual sadness than women do. Because men want to have sex more generally because they have less blockages to sex because of the multi-generational reasons. Multi-generational reasons of a blockage to sex, remember we talked about earlier with women, were things like how they've been abused, how they've been harmed, how sex has been used as a tool to hurt them, violence towards them as a gender and so forth, which causes blockages to sex. And then a lot of men feel the sadness that their partner or, or women around them are blocked to sex. And because of this sadness, they then look for a means to look at women who are not blocked to sex. Right? Unfortunately, many of those women are in a rage about sex, but that's a different thing, but, but, but they're less blocked to sex, and so pornography becomes a tool to use to, in order to feel um, excited sexually. Let's look at oral sex. 
what would most of the taboos about oral sex be involved about, do you think? It's not for procreation. It's not for procreation, so should should be wrong then, according to many religious movements. Can you see that a lot of oral sex or the issues with oral sex are going to be about bodily functions and actually not loving the genitalia, not, not loving genitals, but actually feeling an aversion to the genitals, to the smell, taste and so forth of those functions too. So, so oral sex, I don't... We should say, oral sex, I don't feel oral sex or masturbation is an injured thing unless there are certain things happening as, uh, along with them. Mm. They're not injures, they're just, they're just things that are taboos. The, so we remember here, we weren't, we probably should change that heading, we weren't listing injuries here, we were listing taboos. Right? Yeah. And these are all the taboos, yeah, that's, that's better because I was... <laughs> So, so, but what, uh, why would a person feel that oral sex is a taboo? Can you feel about what that would be emotionally? Katerina, if you would just wait for the mic. Because uh, certain things go in certain places, like they're made, like the penis is made penis for the vagina. You mean penis should go in the vagina exactly. and nothing else? Yeah. Okay. Which is also a reason why anal sex is a taboo then. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's look at so oral sex, for example, firstly. Um, how is a woman's body made? That's a fairly broad question. <laughs> In terms of sexually. If, if, if all pleasure of a woman's body happened internally, right then it would make sense that sex is just about the penis going in the vagina. But the reality for women is that, that a, lot of, a lot of their pleasure doesn't happen just internally, does it? So you've got the clitoris as well, external to the body. So then does it make sense even from God's perspective that sex is penis in vagina? If, if, a, if a person has a sexual organ that's on the outside of their body and not on the inside, then how does the justification occur that it all has to happen inside? Obviously, there is no justification even from that perspective. So can you see how a lot of times we accept a sexual norm and then feel bad about or feel it's a taboo? Just be, uh, we accept things just because of belief structures that aren't even grounded in any logic, are they? Like, for example, the belief structure about masturbation, is it grounded in any logic? No. If, you're not, if you can't touch yourself, then who else should be able to touch it? Nobody. And if you can't touch yourself, then basically, uh, and nobody else is allowed to touch you, then why was the sexual organ given to you in the first place by God? It makes no sense, does it? The same applies with things like oral sex. Like, you know, if, if sex is just going to happen inside your body and not outside of your body, then and why would you have a sexual organ that responds to touch or, or, or to somebody's licking or something like that outside of your body? doesn't make any sense, does it? Logically, it doesn't make any sense. Celibacy is an interesting one for the same reason, isn't it? 
How can celibacy be holy when God, who created your body, created your sexual organs? Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. So can you see that many of these things don't make sense as taboos? Then others, you can see why they have taboos associated with them. But some of them, you, you can't even really see why there are any taboo associated with them. Could we talk maybe, babe, about the, um, the specific emotions that might lead us to be attracted to these things that are not really related to sex? So some of these um, aversions to these things are related to shame about our sexual organs that have been imposed upon us. But well, well, let's look at yeah. even celibacy from that perspective. Why would I be attracted to celibacy? What emotions would cause me to be attracted to celibacy as a way of life? Let's use the microphones. You can, you can go first. Denial. It feels like denial. Denial? Denial of what? Of my feelings. Denial of myself. Denial of my urges. Denial of sexual desire. Yes. So shame might cause me to deny my sexual desire. Yeah. What else might? What cause else me? might? Just uncomfortable with it that makes me want to not deal with it at all and, and focus on being holy. And right, so not wanting to deal with any sexual desires. Because <coughs> I don't want to be sinful. <coughs> don't want to be... Sinful. Sinful. Okay, a so. definition of sinfulness, yes. I have a big inside of me, a definition of what's sinful, what isn't. And as a result of that, feel that celibacy is my course of action. Anything else? I can think that... I can think of quite a lot yeah. more, actually. A fear of emotional intimacy. Fear of emotional intimacy, big one. Or fear of sexual intimacy, big two big ones, yes. Any more? Being disillusioned with being sex. Being dis disillu disillusioned. Disillusioned with relationships, yes. yes. Yep, very good. And therefore having a lot of grief about relationships, yep. Feeling inadequate sexually, so wanting to just shut down. Completely. Yes, feeling that you're not sexually powerful and therefore you'd rather have no sex at all and then call that a place that's holy. Yeah. And uh, no. A belief in purifying through punishment. And yes. Self punishment. The way I become holy is by sacrificing myself, by sacrificing some of my desires. Enter. Fear of being rejected. Yes, fear of being rejected, definitely with celibacy. Um, keep going, there's some more. Why do you think the priesthood created celibacy? Not, I was going to say done. something else. Go and say something So, um, within having sex, you are without protection. Right. And so you're exposed to whatever judgment and to harm. So it's a desire for control? Sorry? A desire for control. No, 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 the other way around. When I'm exposed to the possibility or the opportunity of being um, harmed. Yes. Why an in, uh, why a, a judgment? And I'm naked in that moment. And when I'm naked, I have no protection. And when the other one is going, I'm not protected against any Which judgment. Which is a desire to control. To control, I want to. If I become celibate, is I'm that now controlling all what's of my the possibility of being harmed? There's no possibility. Sorry, now. I'm not that. It's yet. okay. It's okay. <laughs> I can't follow right now. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, the question I asked just earlier was, so, why did the priesthood create celibacy for themselves? Why did they do that? There's an emotional reason. Uh, Nico? 
to keep the men pure from women? Yes. Because so, women are lower than men? So a fear of women. Yeah. Is what, so a fear of the opposite gender yes. is a major reason for celibacy. A fear of the opposite gender having control of you. That's quite a few emotional injuries in one particular thing, isn't it? Can you see that? Just all these different emotions that actually generate a particular course of action. All right. Let's uh, choose one other, another one, shall I? Let's choose something particularly, um, for example, S&M and bondage. Okay, let's choose that. S&M and bondage. What might... What might cause us... To want to be involved in pr practices where pain is involved to heighten sexual desire, in other words. So in other words, sexual desire is heightened while I'm in pain. Maybe being punished in a childhood? Yeah. Yes, being punished by the opposite gender parent yeah. certainly can create that. So why does that create a sexual... Well, when I'm punished by the opposite gender parent and feel that that's love... Now I've got some. Uh, I'm going to have some issues about what surrounds love and sex as a result. Yeah. Or if someone is um, in a state of numbness. And only pain like, opens there. Yeah, exactly. Their they need an, a very intense physical experiences to feel something. To feel something. Yes. Maybe. Very good. Yeah. Why would they be in a state of numbness sexually, aside from what, what, what would be the underlying emotional reason for that? Um, I believe fear or being harmed or um, anger. Yeah, or what about even a desire to associate violence with sex, yeah. right? Uh, rather than associate loving kindness with sex. Right. right. In other words, kindness turns them off. Yeah. Why would kindness turn you off? Sorry. When you've been treated really unlovingly as a child, yeah. um, uh, and perhaps um, had uh, sexual um, uh, injury through an adult or you know a, a powerful person yeah. in your life, um, yeah. yeah, certainly. Now we're not saying what we're saying here is, is this is not an exhaustive list of the injuries associated with one of these particular things. Um, that it is just a, a, an, example. an example of some of the injuries associated with a certain practice. Does that make sense? So this is about being open enough to investigate these things. And very often um, it is about a sadness or a pain that has occurred in our childhood that was not in a sexual context, but because we carry that um, and associate that with love or intimacy or closeness, then the what appears to be a huge sexual injury is created when really the thing to heal is a, a pain within childhood. Yeah. Can I give an example of this? Let's say a man is attracted to S&M. In other words, he's attracted to a woman punishing him and he gets sexually turned on as a result. Right? And so he's attracted to a woman doing that. Now, can you see there must be an underlying... There can, can be an underlying emotional injury where his mother has already punished him or rejected him And so he feels an association between the rejection and that opens him up sexually. So when he's being rejected, he opens up sexually. When he's not being rejected, he closes down sexually. 
Remember I said that all the sexual feelings, and this is something to remember right from the beginning of our discussion, that they are within us, passing through us. And it happens through the opening of the particular chakra. Remember, we talked about that. So imagine if the man was only then attracted to a woman who was punishing and rejecting. So as long as the woman is rejecting him, he feels sexually attracted. right? And if she's rejecting him during the sex act, he even feels more excited then. Right? But as soon as she, he, she stops rejecting him in the sex act, in other words, having some form of physical pain or punishment associated with it, now he's, this energy is not passing through him anymore, so he's now blocked. He's now blocked sexually, and he, and he feels like he needs the S&M practice in order to open up sexually again. Yeah? Dionysus? you've said it but I want to state also that uh, I think that if there is no emotional uh, association between uh, a certain type of behavior from the mother or, the, or the, from the parent generally yep. so probably the person won't partner uh, trade off uh, some emotions to flow I don't know if I say it correctly so, so, so you're saying that um, if emotions were denied during the child's uh, yeah, development. If, it, if it, a child is being abused. Yes. All right. And uh, thinks that that's uh, the way that mommy or daddy loves me. Yes. There's no association that, uh, about a joyful uh, behavior towards yeah. the child. Yeah. So it associates uh, love, sex, with abuse, uh, abusive uh, behavior. Yes. So Very true. it can trade off uh, its emotions yeah. with, uh, with that kind of behavior yes. towards him or from him or her towards others. So it feels sexually turned on by that kind of behaviour rather than any other form because the injury is that, that when that kind of behaviour is given to me, then I feel open emotionally. And the numbness uh, that Nicole said earlier uh, comes from uh, when I have like a good behaviour towards me uh, that doesn't turn me, turns me on or that sets mm. me down actually, so I become numb. But when someone shouts or behaves bad at me or I behave bad at someone yeah. so that turns yeah, yeah. Feel, feel more emotionally connected yeah. yeah can you also what about on the giving side so we talked a lot about the receiving side of the S&M but what about the giving there's somebody doing the whipping and there's somebody <laughs> doing what what are they feeling what, what's their emotions do you feel that they're in denial of um, if we I think with sadism it's uh, a revenge well, things happened to them before. Yes, a feeling of revenge is one of the emotions, yes, yeah, towards the gender that it's aimed towards. And so but what's, just, what's under the, that feeling of revenge? Under the feeling of revenge? Yeah. Could be that uh, their per opposite gender parent has treated them badly or treated their mother badly, treated the, the same gender as themselves badly, and so they then feel like they want some kind of... Uh, they, feel, they only feel powerful sexually when they're connected with this feeling of, be of a revengeful act towards the opposite gender. So in order to heal that, we would be f that yeah. person would need to connect to deep feelings of powerlessness and grief. Yeah. So uh, see, uh, remember that many of these actions, many of these actions that we view as taboos are actually based around addictions. They are actually addictions so that we open sexually. And sexual addictions are very powerful because they are sexual in nature and sex is a very strong feeling inside of our body. 
And so what happens is we finish up engaging in the addiction that opens us up sexually without dealing with the emotion that shut us down sexually. Does that make sense? So instead, what we're going for there is the addiction that opens us sexually in order to avoid the emotion that shut us down. So in the case if I've been treated badly by the opposite gender parent, I then might feel a degree of rage and anger about that. When I can begin to express that rage and anger towards the opposite gender or feel a feeling of control towards the opposite gender, now that's my addiction being met. Now I open up sexually as a result of that addiction being met. But if the opposite gender did the same to me, I would be even more enraged and therefore close down, I'd co maybe even close down myself even further as a result, you know. So, so if, this is where usually you find with S&M type practices, one person, it's very rare to have one person who engages in both the overt and the, uh, what are they? Submissive. The submissive behaviour rather than the, the uh, dominatrix. dominating behaviour. So usually one person will either engage in the dominating behaviour and not the submissive or vice versa. Engage in the submissive behaviour but never the dominating behaviour. And the reason why is because of two completely separate injuries based upon interactions with their parents. Nico. Uh, you just said it. it was, it's all about control. Uh, For, because yep, uh, good. the dominatrix feels uh, she has control over the dominant. So... Yeah. So it's about control. sexual control, isn't it? Over safety. Safety. I'm not afraid of yes, you. Yes, I safety. can control you. Yep. That's it. I'm safe, you're not. <laughs> you know, that kind of feeling is there as well. Yes? Anything else you can think of on the dominating side? Can you see how it's working through... Is it like, it's not, I wouldn't call it working through the emotion. It's, it's living in the unhealed state but needing the unhealed state to open yourself up sexually that causes the attraction to different practices. The key is to not condemn the practice. You see, by making them a taboo, we condemn the practice. When we condemn the practice, or when people generally condemn the practice, we now stop the openness to actually addressing the emotional injuries that create a practice that's unloving. Yeah, perhaps if I would like to say... Um to not condemn the desire. Some of the practices I feel are very harmful and I would never condone the practice, but to not condemn the desire is a very important thing because it, unless you're willing to examine the yeah, desire, you can't heal it. Yeah. 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 So the key is to not condemn... I just spread like a few of them out here. ...the desire... But you don't have to act upon the desire. Exactly. Right? What we need to do instead is feel the underlying emotion that creates the desire. That's what we need to do. Because if we keep in mind that the pure state is sex with my soulmate. In, in whatever form that may take. But yeah. obviously, even if that takes an SMN type form, then obviously there are still emotions to deal with. Because, because one is dominating and one is submissive. And does that sound like to you like a healed sexual relationship? No, it's not. So, so it's not yet healed. We don't condemn the fact that it's like that. What we do is we go through the process of working through the emotions to heal it. That's what we do instead. If we want to be at one with God, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. 
if we want to be at one with God, we will always look at the practice, whatever the practices are, and we'll examine them completely from a position of love. So we'll ask ourselves, well, is it right for me, if I'm, if I'm addicted to dominating Mary sexually and whipping her, and I'm addicted to that, and I can't even connect with any orgasmic feelings within myself unless those particular things are happening to Mary, if that's the case, then is that loving for myself or Mary? Surely, surely not. Surely I should be able to connect to feelings, sexual feelings and, and, my, and my own orgasm when we're in a loving exchange without me or her dominating the exchange. So we need to question ourselves rather than justify the behaviour. See, what most people on planet do with all of these taboos is we become what I would call um, rebellious about them. Do you know what I mean by that? We, we basically say, well, yes, I am involved with S&M and it's okay for me to be involved in S&M and I'm, and I'm not actually saying it's not okay <laughs> because at the end of the day, you know, you have free will and you can do anything you like. Even if it is damaging to another person, you can still do it. I'm not saying that you haven't got free will. But what I'm saying is that we do need, if we want to be ever at one with God and ever at one with our soulmate, we do need to address the in unbalanced desires that are out of harmony with love in the, in the process. Igor, thanks. There's a lot of uh, spirits at the moment projecting at the group um, about can we really say these things? Yeah, there's a lot of like, whoa, they're really talking about you that. Know, can we really say that S&M is bad, for example? And I'm not <laughs> saying it's bad or good because to me that's a judgment. What I'm saying is there are emotional injuries involved in the S&M practices. And if we're willing and open, we can see those emotional injuries and address them. We don't need to condemn them. We need to address them. Right? We don't need to judge them. We need to address them. That's what I'm saying. Igor. I think you just <laughs> answered the question. Yeah. I just wanted to probably use another whiteboard and list at one with God sexual practices. How the, <laughs> the good ones, because we... At one with God, sexual practices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the problem with doing that is that it then seems like a whole heap of rules about what are the proper sexual practices. My suggestion, instead of doing that, is to is to start questioning whether love is involved in any sexual interaction. You see, a, so, a soulmate couple that has unhealed emotions can certainly still engage in unhealed sexual practices. So. So you can be in a relationship with your soulmate and still have sexual practices that need to be healed. Do you, do you follow me? And the key is to allow yourself to feel the lack of love in these things. Now, if you have a desire for God, you will always eventually progress towards God and anything that causes you to stagnate in your progress towards God obviously needs to be healed. And sexual practices can certainly cause your stagnation in your progression towards God. This is why some of the people who believe holiness and uh, you know, celibacy are co coexisting. It's because many of the times they got to a certain point where their sexual practices were not harmonious with getting closer to God. And so they threw away all sexual practices. And they got a bit closer to God because they dealt with some emotions in that process. But unfortunately they can't ever be at one with God in that place. So, so while you're practicing celibacy, for example, this is going to be a very strong statement for many of our spirit friends, 
you will never be at one with God practicing celibacy. Except under yes. one condition. And that is if it's impossible for you to have sexual interaction with your soulmate. But you still wouldn't be practicing celibacy as a practice. You'd still have a desire for your soulmate. Right? So in the reality is you'll never be at one with God by, by forcing yourself into a state of celibacy. Right? So, so celibacy is stopping you at one with God as much as S&M bondage practices will stop you at one with God. The reason why these stop you at one with God is because there is a, dominating, a domination over somebody else who's submissive. Now, obviously, that's not an act of love to dominate and be submissive. Both conditions are not an act of love. You know, we, we would join together equally when we're in an act of love. So, so an S&M practice, while we may be engaged in it, it's up to you whether you engage in it, but at the end of the day, it will prevent your one with God as much as a practice of celibacy will. That's the irony, right? Is it as much as? Yeah. Yep. Well, it is. At one point, sooner or later, if I continue practicing celibacy, at one point I'm going to stagnate in my condition, and from that moment on, I am never going to become at one with God. Right? Now, that condition might be a bit higher than when I practice S&M bondage, but at the end of the day, they're still stagnant conditions. So they're just as bad as each other preventing us from becoming at one with God, aren't they? If, if we're looking at our desire to become at one with God and at one with our soulmate, both practices will never, never allow us to become at one with God or at one with our soulmate. Both of them. Now... The earth has no judgment of holiness towards celibacy. In fact, they laud celibacy as holy. And yet, and yet when it comes to S&M bondage, they condemn that. And yet what I'm saying is both practices will inhibit your desire and longing to become at one with your soulmate and at one with God. Both practices. Because they're both denial of emotion. They're both denial of different emotions. And they're both denial of actual, um, the pure state, which is that state. Anything that denies that pure state is going to inhibit your one with your soulmate and at one with God. Does that make sense to everyone? So this is what we need to consider, is that some of these things, we condemn that, and yet celibacy we often just skip over, and yet the two practices from God's perspective will have just as much impact upon our becoming at one with God as each other. I, I have to, I keep getting stuck on that point because I feel that S&M, uh, I'm actively involved in harming another person, uh, whereas celibacy, no, I'm harming choice. my own sexual desire. So what, what's the difference? Harming another person or harming yourself? Okay. Celib celibacy is harming your soulmate. Celibacy is also harming yourself. Sure. Both are harming... In, in, in each case. Like, so so the, re the reality is that both practices will stop you from becoming at one with God. Both practices will, will stop you from becoming at one with your soulmate. So both practices are just as stagnant as each other. They stagnate your progression just as much as each, uh, each practice. So in the spirit world at the moment, in the sixth dimension, there are still many millions of spirits who believe totally in celibacy that that is the only way to connect to God. And what I'm saying to those spirits is, no, I'm sorry, but you are just as much in denial of 
your, of God and your soulmate in that state as a person who practices bondage would be. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Is that pretty confronting or what? <laughs> right, if we can come over here and then up the back there. Thanks. I was just wondering if maybe you could speak a little bit. Both these things to me are the extreme end of the spectrum. Yep. And you haven't really talked that much about normal day-to-day -day relationships that most of us enjoy our sexuality and we're married or in good relationships. Or maybe some meet their soulmates later on in life but happen to be married already by that time and have kids and families. Would you advise people like that to go for it and to try to be with the soulmates? Or do you deny that and uh, try to sublimate it into a different kind of love? Or what do you say to people who are in situations like that? Can we cover this first and yes. then get to that, okay. that subject? Because we'd certainly like to cover that subject. So if you can remind me if we don't get to that subject within the next 15 or 20 minutes, I'd love to cover it. To ask about um, incest and sex with children. Yep. Yep. And where does the law of attraction play a role here? Because with the other sexual practices that we're talking about, except sex with the dead and animals, I, where maybe there's no consent, we're talking about consent between adults mostly. But with children, um, I can't understand what, what, how does a child attract that? Um, a child attracts uh, those kind of events through the unhealed emotions of its own parents. So it's its own parents in denial of unhealed emotions that attracts the events for the child. And th this is the case for all things that children attract. So the reality is there, there is huge damage in pedophilia and incest. And the reason why there's huge damage in it is because not only does it not state the pure state, but also, it actually is the it is imposing an adult's will upon a, an undeveloped soul, a person who's yet to have the development of knowing what is, you know, the right thing to do and what is the wrong thing to do, and it imposes upon them without their consent. And any time you impose something upon an adult without their consent, you are breaking laws of free will. But if you're if you're imposing something upon a child whether they give consent or not, you are actually breaking a lot of laws about whether the child's developed or not as well. So this is a very damaging action to do, certainly. The key, we, what we want to do, though, is we need to look at not condemning the desire. See, what, what we finish up doing is any person who has the desire for incest or desire for pedophilia, we eventually condemn them. Societally, what we do is we condemn them we want to, we're very angry with them and we do all sorts of things as a result to those particular people. What I'm suggesting is instead of doing that, we need to not condemn the desire, but rather the action is very, very damaging. We need to look at the desire. We need to examine why the desire is present. Right? If we don't examine why the desire is present, the action will never change. The desire will never change. The desire will never change and therefore they will want to act upon the desire. So, so what we want to do is look at the desire, see, acknowledge whenever it's present, look at the desire and, and start questioning why it exists. I, and uh, the reason I wrote that on the board actually, we were talking about taboo uh, sexu things sexually abhorrent to some people is because... Um, 
I feel that because there is such shame and judgment of pedophilia, which I do feel is a, is a horrible, abhorrent practice, but because there's so much judgment of people who practice pedophilia, they never, um, they themselves are never encouraged to examine what the desire covers. And so it, the statistics for the healing of people who practice pedophilia are pretty horrible because they don't really ever... There's very low statistics of people who ever stop having the desire to harm children in that way once they've this started This is why that. they do it over and over and over again until they die. And it's only usually in the spirit world that because of the openness of people assisting them that they actually begin to address the emotional reason why they did so ter so many terrible acts towards children. And the, the issue we need to face is not that... We don't, we don't, we're not saying, myself and Mary, are not saying that this, is, that this isn't a major problem. It's a major problem on the earth. But what we're saying is every time we condemn in a person even it's the, the reason for it occurring, the desire, we are actually stopping them Societally, we are stopping them from ever healing their problem. We need to be able to discuss with them what the problem is all about emotionally and help them through the emotion that causes them to have a desire to have sex with children. That's what we need to do instead. And if that means isolating them from children until the desire is healed, then that's what we do. But we need to still go through the process of healing the desire. See, a lot of these things, a lot of these different things are actually caused by unhealed desires, unhealed emotions. They're caused by emotions that are not even related to sex. And actually, some pedophilia-based emotions are not even related to sex. They're related to many other emotions. But we need to be open to seeing the desire and then addressing it and talking about it openly without condemnation and judgment. Because as soon as we judge the person, as soon as we condemn the person, from that moment on, they are unable to heal the emotion. From that moment on, they are going to hold on to the emotion, deny it. They'll even, they'll even try to make out they don't have it when they still have it. And we, that's not going to get us anywhere when it comes to healing that sexually. But in answer to your question, uh, children don't, don't have a law of attraction. They, it's based on the, their parents' law of attraction. And also, it's based on the harm that that individual is causing to do to children. Like, they, they hold the ultimate responsibility for that. And then there's unhealed emotions within both parents that allow an open... Like, that cause the lack of protection, if you like, for that child, for them then to be harmed. So for many, for many parents, they can't even recognise when their child has been sexually harmed just once. And the reason why they can't recognise it is because they themselves have emotional injuries that prevent the recognition of such harm. The truth is when the parents are totally open emotionally and totally able to open sexually, they would instantly recognise even the danger before it occurred. They'd recognise the type of person who would be involved in sort of some kind of act of incest and they would instantly take precaution with that particular person. Uh, but for the majority of us as parents, because we have different shames of our own and different histories of our own and so forth, and in particular, and this is why incest happens in a multi-generational sense, in particular, if I have been harmed sexually as, as a child and I deny this emotion within myself and I grow up to be an adult there is usually only two particular paths I'm going to take. 
One path is to become a person who abuses children myself. The other part is to become a person who um, completely is unaware of any abuse of children and therefore my child, if I ever have a child, will be totally open to being abused. They're the two paths while I'm in denial. While I'm in denial. Of my own emotions. The third option, obviously, is for me to heal it sexually, to heal myself sexually, heal the history of my own abuse, and when I heal the history of my own abuse, there is a much higher likelihood of my child never being abused because I would instantly recognise the type of person who's the abuser rather than being afraid of them and going into my shell and trying to deny that they exist. Mm. Does that make sense? Does that, does that cover yeah. your question? Yeah. That microphone. Microphone. <laughs> Directly to what you just mentioned, we have a lot of cases now in Germany uh, referring to the Roman Catholic Church that adults go into the open and talk about their um, sexual injuries they experience from priests. Yeah. Would that help for the healing process? Of course, other priests which are condemned right now and um, certainly don't look very nice, but the other ones, the victims, are speaking openly about what happened to them. True. I thought it is maybe a way to heal Definitely. what is there underlying in the whole society. Definitely. The uh, truth is always the, pro is always the thing that leads to healing. Truth. The truth yeah. of what actually happened is always what leads to healing. Mm -hmm. so, so having victims who have incest are able to speak openly and frankly about what's happened to them is a very powerful form of healing for them. They've got to be very careful, though, that they don't get into the cycle of just talking about what's happened without feeling the actual emotions, the underlying emotions about what happened. That's the thing they need to take care of. Yeah. However, on the priest side, while the churches still protect priests from this whole process... From the consequences of their actions. The priests themselves cannot heal. So you said they were condemned, and they are yeah. condemned by a lot of society, but they're actually con almost condoned, like they're, they're um, allowed to avoid responsibility for what they've actually done yeah, yeah. Mary, because this is right. of the church. And, and the other thing is that's what AJ said, they had no, ha no chance to heal because I, they are building up a block to hide beside because mm. I think they're full of shame and they must have reasons for that. Well, no, no many of them are just full of rage initially and oh, then maybe. other emotions, but... but but while they're not isolated, placed in some kind of psychotherapy, working through the emotional reasons why they chose to harm children, while all of that's happening and that's, and that's not happening, then those priests and ministers have no chance to heal their problem. No chance at all. Now, some of them would be very resistive to that, of course. They'd be very resistive to having any form of of that happening. However, in the spirit world, that's what's going to happen to them either way, right? Because the, the law of attraction in the spirit world works perfectly. And once those ministers get into a state where they acknowledge what they've done, from that moment on, they have a chance to heal. Now, any person who does not acknowledge what they've done needs to then be kept in isolation until they just acknowledge what they've done. Because Most of them are retired already. And sorry, sorry? most of these priests yep. which have been accused of having done that are retired or about to be... But they're not in isolation. No, they're not in isolation. Because the reality is many of no, them... No, no, 
have not, not been placed in a, some kind of isolation where they can no longer harm children. Mm. They, still then, they still have the desire in them to harm children and they're in society where there are children and yet they're not in isolation. They need to be placed in some form of isolation but the isolation needs to be non-condemnatory and loving where it helps them work through the emotional injuries. That's the sole purpose of the isolation helps them work through their emotional injuries until such a point as they no longer have the injury. When they no longer have the injury, then they can re-enter society and they'll be safe to be with because they'll actually have a desire for their soulmate rather than a desire to sexually abuse children. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, I think the, um, the people in Germany right now part much more with the victims. Yes. And... Um, I thought it was a good idea that they come into the open because I think there are so many Very. cases when victims do not speak yeah. and all of a sudden they do speak up after 20 or 30 years yeah. and I was amazed about this out like a volcano which is breaking, uh, which is erupting, erupting, yeah. exactly like things like this are erupting as well so everything comes into the light. Yes, the, the problem with society generally is that we as a society do not want to know about child abuse. We do not want to know or even most of the time accept that it's actually happening. And the reality is it's happening in many families on this planet. You know, at least one in three families on this planet, in fact. So, so the reality is there's huge no amounts of child abuse on the planet. And because there's so much about it, there are so many guilty people. And the reason why then we don't want to talk about it is because many people who feel guilty don't want to speak, or speak about it and then many of the people who have been abused don't want to speak about it either because they feel ashamed and guilty they feel like they've been to blame somehow they don't really understand how but that's the feeling that's present and as a result of that there is a huge amount of suppression of the truth about abuse on the planet and that's what causes the shutdown of healing it May I ask you a very personal question because I'm a teacher Yep and I have a lot of kids who are either sexually abused or uh, abused by violence. And sometimes I do not know how to handle it. Yeah. I give them the chance as often as it's possible to talk to me. Yeah. And I tell them you are, have the right for your feelings. Not acting it out, which yeah. some of them do. Yeah. But then in the end I feel very helpless. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And I was going to ask you, what can I do? Because in my class I have some cases which are quite serious. The best thing you can ever do for a child who is being abused is to prevent the abuse. How can I do that? I cannot go home. Well, you need I, to I, I report it. Yes, I report it. I, we yep. interfere the social workers. Yep. But then we already experience how limited of course. these institutions are. Of this, because if parents deny and the doctor didn't testify that was an abuse, the abuse will continue. Of course, and this and is where every single person involved in the reporting of it needs to take a good look at their own condition. Why are they in denial of something that's obviously harming a child? And, and what, what, we, what we need to see as a society is that there is a deep denial that these things are occurring in society and that's one of the reasons why many people who are in positions of responsibility in society are actually denying their existence. This is also the reason why the Catholic Church, for example, denied the existence of pedophilia within the ranks of the priesthood because they want to maintain a semblance of order of their society and they want to deny the truth of what's actually going on in many cases. 
And what we need to all do is look at our own part in the denial of these truths and our own emotions. So, so if I've reported a, a sexual abuse issue to, society, to the authority authorities and I've done all I can to, to say something about that and still no action is taken, then I've got to look at emotionally why there is no action being taken. What, that's part of my law of attraction. That's part of the my soul attraction. So I need to go through my own feelings of frustration, my own feelings of anger and rage, my own feelings of anger and rage towards the abuser, my own feelings of uh, sadness about the abuse occurring. And often when I go through those emotions, then the child will actually get looked after. So we need to see everything happening externally as a law of attraction event for something that we need to personally work through. In my own case... When I've ever noticed a child abused, the first, very first thing I do is give them the opportunity to get out of the family household if they're old enough to do so. Now, in some cases, that's meant they've come and stayed with in my house for a period of time. We are not allowed to do that. I know. You see, can you see what's the problem? You say you're not allowed to do that. I'm sorry, I can't agree with that at all. Sorry? I can't agree. That we are not allowed to do that. No, I don't agree that you're not allowed to do it. I, you've got a fear of authority that causes you to feel you have, are not allowed to do that. Does that make sense? Not really, but I have to think about it or feel about it. Yeah. Right now, uh, this is why we don't act, because we've got a fear of our own self being harmed in some way if we act in the manner that we feel driven to do. So, so if I'm very, very sure that a child is being abused... If, like my feelings are, I, I want to take very strong action about that. Now, now, if the society tells me I'm not allowed to, I say, well, blow that. Like, I need to still act, no matter what's going to happen as a result from that society. Do you follow me? Just like I would with any other truth. Like, if I strongly feel that a child is being harmed, then why wouldn't I act even at the risk of my own harm? Can you see? that I have an emotion where I'm afraid of my own harm so much that I'm not willing to take the child out of harm. And this is where we need to deal with our emotions, every person involved with these issues of child abuse. Yeah? Um, if we can come to... Um, Fiona. Fee, thank you. And then Igor. Yep. Yeah. I've been really scared to ask this question and every time I try to, Luca comes back in. Yeah. Um, and I feel really um, awkward talking about this with him here. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, Luca, Luca just walked back in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have my own history. Yep. Um, and I wanted to ask a, um, a question around spirits and how they affect you. Um, because it's something that I noticed recently. I read a book called Tiger, Tiger, which is a memoir about a lady who's been abused. And um, I read the book in a day, and it's over 300 pages, and I couldn't put it down. And, but I didn't cry, and I didn't really connect to much, apart from sexual feelings. And I was kind of disgusted with myself. So feelings of sexual desire rather than... Yeah, arousal. Rather than any sadness or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I felt really disgusting right. with myself. Well, there, there's, this, there's the starting point. Yeah. W yeah. You know, 
the sexual disgust of yourself for feeling like aroused when you're reading about somebody's abuse is actually condemning the emotion within yourself before you even begin to investigate it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So so rather than condemning the emotion, let's investigate it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So in in the book, um, she talks about uh, it's from the age of seven to twenty-two, mm-hmm. and she. Um, uh, age 13 when the actual sex starts like intercourse yeah she creates a lady called nina who she becomes yeah um and it's beautiful how she's written it it's like she can make something nothing and you know she just basically totally detached yep. um nothing something yep. um and she yeah it's total detachment and so she's got an alter ego and so when i was reading that bit I suddenly realized that that's what I've had all my life. I've had Anna, yep. and, um, who was actually a spirit as well. Yep. Um, and I suggest this Nina. Nina was a spirit as well. Okay, yep. right. Yep. So I read the book, and I thought, okay, so her Nina is my Anna. I get that, um, but still no emotion. And then I spoke to my counselor, and as soon as I walked through the door, I was like, ah, oh, all cocky and detached. I was like, read this awesome book, slapped it down. And just burst out crying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Good. cried for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so didn't get to talk about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> Sobbing about, yeah. oh, I can't believe it. And because I realized that reading the book, Anna had got really, it's like my detached self had got really excited reading the book. Yes. Yeah. But then when I actually connected emotionally with someone who I felt no judgment from, and I, I didn't even talk about it with Mike, I yeah. was so scared of what had happened reading the book. Yeah. I read, you know, I just, I first spoke to her, yeah. which of course affects our relationship. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it just seemed really amazing, the spirit influence and how a lot of my life, even before I was sexually active, I would get turned on thinking about kind of incest situations. Yeah. And I didn't understand it and just thought that I was dreadful and all these things. Yeah. Can you see now that that was Anna's unhealed emotion that she projected at you? Mm. The spirit is projecting this emotion at you. Mm. Why would a spirit get turned on about incest? Well, what I came to was that it's actually the complete 180. So when I connected emotionally, I felt terrified. Mm. Yes, I but agree. when I'm detached, I feel turned on. When you're detached, what's happening though? The spirit is... The spirit is feeling through you. Yeah. Right. What is she feeling? What's her feelings? Excited. She's excited. Why would a person, a woman spirit, be excited by the act of incest? I don't know. Have a feel about it. Because it's quite obvious. (laughs) Because she's... There's only two possible reasons why she would be excited. Really. Because she's an abuser? Because she's an abuser is one of those reasons. That in other words, that she abused children while she was on earth, that's one reason, potential reason. And she then steps in when you're getting abused. When you go out of your body, she then steps in and, and looks after that thing because she actually likes it then. Does that make sense? Does that feel truthful to you? I know you feel she's your friend. You feel that she was your friend and this is... You feel she was your friend because she saved you from feeling the feelings. 
but the reality is she likes the feelings. That's why she steps in at that point. There's only one other reason why she would do it. Remember I said there were two, two. reasons. For What's you. the other reason? But you're going to very much want the reason to be the second reason. Mm -hmm. right? And you're not going to want the reason to be the first reason, but the first reason is the most dominant reason. You understand? That's why I said it first. The second reason is that she herself has had some sexual abuse and she has yet to grieve it and she actually felt the enjoyment of it as a child and therefore she wants to still continue to feel that same enjoyment and that's the only thing that turns her on. So that's the second possible reason. Does that make sense? Yeah, I want that one. You want, you want that, that one? Yes, I know you want you that do. one. Yeah. I know you want that one. But this is the problem, you see. It's the, fear, the problem with spirits is often they connect to us to the feelings we don't want. We don't want to come to acknowledgement of the truth. To be frank with you, almost all sexual abuse of children, all pedophilia and incest-related issues, almost them all involve a number of spirits. Almost them all. Both, both on the receiving end and on the giving end of the abuse. On the receiving end, many of the children go out of body because of the terror that they feel. They step away from their body and other spirits come in and actually act out the opposite emotion than what the person actually feels who is in the body at the time, you know, who owns the body, if you like. The owner of the body often feels terrified and terrible, but the person stepping in feels under control, powerful, and often enjoys the interaction, right? And so then that creates even more confusion for the pedophile himself because he's going, but you liked it. You see, many pedophiles explained this, that they feel the child liked it. And unfortunately, the child wasn't the child experiencing it. It was the child had stepped out of body and unfortunately, a spirit had stepped in its place who did enjoy the process. Right? And this is, where, this is where understanding the truth of all of these interactions is very, very important to healing the emotion. So, does that make sense to you? Yeah. The first one feels truthful, even though you don't want it to be, doesn't it? And this is the problem, is that uh, much of the time, these people who come to save us from a terrified to a terrifying situation are not the you know, good people we believe them to be, but rather a person who is a, um, a predator in their own right. And that's why they come in on those situations. Yeah. And that's why she tries to encourage those situations. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it's, ve it's very damaging to the person who's been abused. Very confusing emotions. And, and this is why many, much of child abuse is not actually ever healed. Because the full dynamic of what's happening does not include understanding the spirit dynamic. <coughs> you'll find the truth about it for you. Yeah, I think you already know the truth about it. <coughs> Does that make sense, V? Do you got got any more questions about it? Makes sense, though, doesn't it? Mm. Um, I just, I have had conversations with Anna, mm. and she's shown me. Well, I felt like I've remembered huge parts of my spirit life with her yes. as best friends. <coughs> And, and that it's like this friendship that I've never had on earth, which is why I'm so needy with women and we're like this, we're like tied together. And, and then I felt like we moved her on, Mike and I, one night and all this stuff. And like 
then well, it, you think of all the women who you have these kind of relationships with on earth are any of them have any of them proven to be your friend no haven't most of them proven to be more domineering than you mm -hmm. over you mm -hmm. haven't most of them been controlling of you why would that be any different to this attraction yeah Yeah, a lot of lies. <laughs> yeah, and this is the yeah. problem is that uh, there are a lot of lies involved in sexual abuse of children, both on the part of spirits and on the part of people on earth. You think of how many lies have been a part of your family, where mum and dad, you know, you've had memories of these things now, in both in denial, in other words, both wish to lie about these issues. And then on top of that, you've got spirits lying to you at the same time. <laughs> how confusing is this for a child? Mm -hmm very difficult it's very difficult emotional things to deal with yeah okay can we at the back who are you going uh hannah at the hannah? back had yeah. her hand up for a while we still need to get back to the normal stuff yeah and i'm about. thinking of the time yeah. what time is it all right so we've got 20 more minutes to say all right Thank you. I just wanted to thank B for sharing that anyway, because that's helped me. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to ask this question, because I'm just completely, I'm just really shaking, <laughs> sweating all over. Yeah. So um, very afraid, Hannah. Um, I've had a problem since I was young with pain down below, and I've never known why. Yeah. Um, it's been from a very young age. Mum said I was always really sore. I like to take my nappy off so I was sore I was. Um, and, uh, and every time I'd have sugar or would not drink enough water, I would just get really red, raw, sore. Yeah. Um, I managed to be able to control it by not having so much sugar or just drinking loads of water or having lemon or something. And then when I started my first sexual relationship, I went on the con contraceptive pill and I started to have pain there all the time, just around the entrance of the vagina. And, um, and it's just, it's never gone away. It's like bright red sore. And if I have sex with my partner, it takes me about a week for that skin to recover. Because it's just so painful. <laughs> and <I'd> just <coughs> I'm obviously really scared because I've never shaped that. So you'd like but to know to, what it's about. I really wanted to ask the question. Yeah. But um, I don't know the, like, the link with the sugar thing because my little boy, um, I breastfed him, but he would scream every time I fed him and he would crunch up in pain and he couldn't hold the milk. He'd just poo it straight out and I worked out that it's like he, he couldn't have the lactose, the sugar in my milk. So at six weeks old, I had to decide I couldn't feed him any longer. But I sat on the express pump for four and a half months so that he'd still get my milk so I could treat it to take the lactose out. Yeah. He's still got a problem with sugar and he just goes really hyperactive. And I've no idea what the sugar, what this thing is. But And also just obviously that continuous pain down below. Yeah. But I wanted to ask the question. <laughs> Do I need a shower now? <laughs> So what's the question now? I don't 
don't know really. I'm just, That's right. I'd I'm love just really to stuck with what even what it could be to do with and yep. why I just have continuous pain there. I mean, it's sensitive to the touch, really, I would say. Mm. And obviously, it's just around the area where I have sex. It's just painful. And as your mum mentioned to you, when it began in you? Mum said when... She did say when I was young, but like a, a baby. But it's really strange what, what Wimpy was saying that... Um, and I remember going to hypnotherapy because I had I've got real anger issues with my dad. And I remember mum just saying, you, you know, when you said about they wouldn't even rem- know that a child's being abused or something. I remember her saying, well, don't let them convince you that you may have been sexually abused because I know that you, you were never abused. And I don't know why she'd just say that. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So when you went for therapy, hypnotherapy, she, yeah. your mother, your, hypnotherapy, your mother said, "Don't let them convince you you've been abused." Yeah, she said that to me. Oh, okay, no worries. Um, well, the tr- the truth is, you may not have been abused by a person on earth, but that doesn't mean that you haven't been abused. For a start, you see, it's possible through the unhealed emotions of our parents that spirits can influence our body and therefore touch our body and therefore we feel the sensations of that touch because of the unhealed emotions of our parents. So the reality is, let's look at your mum's emotions about sex. Let's start there. What are her emotions about sex that you know of? Has she ever talked to you about it? Um, I know she told me that she was touched by someone when she was about five years old who was a friend of the family who she really trusted. Right. So she's told you she's been abused? Yeah, but she only told me probably within the last year. Okay. So her own emotions will have a large effect on your body when you're a little baby. Do you understand? Okay. She seemed like she wasn't really bothered about it, but, you know, it's, I don't understand no, that. But most, yeah. most people who seem like they're not very bothered about abuse happening in their own life have yet to fully deal with the emotion or have gone through the whole process, which is quite traumatic, and I've been through it myself, so I know what the process is, and have come out the other end. Now, I suggest to you, your mother has not come out the other end, because if she had, your body would not be responding to her denied emotion. Your body, when you were little, was responding to her denied emotion about her own abuse. Do you understand? Okay. Now, in that state, she would also be... be completely open spiritually to you being abused. Because she's in so much denial herself, she's completely open spiritually. Now that completely opens you to the potential of abuse on the earth and it definitely opens you to the potential of abuse by spirits. Maybe that's why we have those night terrors. (laughs) Exactly. So you'll find in the end that many of these feelings you have are linked together. Do Do you understand? Once you allow yourself to investigate. Many people on earth have not been abused sexually by another person on earth, but rather have been abused by spirits who have been able to touch the person because of the unhealed emotions of their parents. In other words, the mother of a child has been abused and she does not wish to deal with her emotions of being abused. That now allows an opening for a spirit to abuse her own child. Right? And then the mother says, but I never let you be abused because I would have, I've checked you, I've kept an eye on you all the time, not understanding that she has no way of keeping an eye on the spirits who are involved in her daughter's life 
And the only way she has control of them is through healing her emotions about the issue. That's the only way she can prevent the abuse from spirits. And so what, we've, what we find is that many people have had, once we've talked to them about this, many people start having the memories of a spirit abusing them rather than a person on earth. Okay. However, many spirits do not want to participate in the abuse alone. They want a person on earth to be involved in the abuse of a child. And so many spirits overcloak a person on earth and show them which child is open to abuse by the unhealed emotions of their parents. So in other words, they find a mother who's, or a father who's been abused. They look at whether they have a child or not. And if the father or mother has not dealt with their abuse emotions, the spirit now has the opening to now abuse the child. And the spirit then connects with a person who's nearby them who has the desire to also, the sexual desires related to just the desire of connecting with the child and then motivates that person into actual abusing the child sexually. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. And that happens almost in all cases of abuse where a spirit has influenced the child uh, and a, another adult to actually abuse a child that has been open to it because of the unhealed emotions of the parents involved. Okay. And there's something I, I know for sure when you're talking about that chakra flowing thing. I don't have contact with my dad, but I did see him a couple of months ago, which was a big mistake. But whenever he used to be around, I could never sit next to him and I can't look in his face, but I can feel this just like... It's like interference in my base chakra. I can just feel this horrible interference. And right. I just, I've had that for a long time, but I never used to understand. And I just you need to start trusting these feelings you have, Hannah, and letting yourself feel about them. You, if you can trust the feelings without condemning them, it will lead you to the truth. What, what you're doing a lot is denying the feelings, like not trusting them, because your mother is telling you, in particular, you know, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. I would never allow you that to happen to you and so forth. And the reality is that while she has the unhealed emotion within herself, she is automatically allowing it to happen, the potentiality of it happening to you. That's the reality. Because in my teenage years, I was so angry with my dad and I just used to provoke a fight all the time just so I could get physical fights. So physical fights about three or four days a week. Yeah. Well, I'd get really beaten, but I wouldn't feel much of it. I yeah. suppose I was out of body, but I just used to want to provoke those fights. Yeah. So what you need to look at is uh, this feelings you have towards your father. Now, there's a potential of two things there too. One potential is that you're actually so connected to your mother that you're actually feeling her unexpressed rage towards your father. Does that make sense? Yeah, she has and, got it. And, the, and her unexpressed rage towards men because of her abuse... Or it could be that your father was involved in some kind of sexual molestation of yourself. So they are the two potentials. So allow yourself to feel about those potentials rather than denying the feelings. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's really important to just let yourself feel the feelings, yeah. not draw any assumptions. Not, not, not make conclusions. Don't draw any conclusions. Just let your body and your feelings, allow, have, let them have their experience. And at the end of it, you'll know what the truth is. But yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. Does that make sense, Hannah? Like, <laughs> if you let yourself feel the feelings, that is the only way that you'll eventually end up with a conclusion. If you try to draw conclusions before you feel the feelings, you're not going to resolve the truth of this matter. And, and 
to let the feelings have their conclusion as well, not start to have the feelings go, right, I know what the truth is. You know, let yourself really experience these, these different feelings that you have. Yeah. Okay. The issue of incest on this planet is very murky because of spirit involvement. You know, there's, there's spirit involvement in almost, well, in every, every time I've ever seen a person, um, you know, on the receiving end of incest, there has always been involvement spiritually on the receiver and the, and the person who's perpetrating the violence. So, so this makes it very murky and very hard to resolve the truth until we're through all of the emotion and therefore until we're accepting all of the feelings. Yep. Sure, thank you. I've got good. good on you. Good on you for being brave too. Mm -hmm. um, can, rather than go further into the discussion of some of these things, yep. Can we go back to the question that you asked, which was this question about um, the general relationship and what happens with the general relationship? Most people are... Sorry, you wanted... I just wanted to check if anyone had any... Just about, just about that issue we're just discussing. Incest? Y yeah. Okay. Just to well, perhaps, do you want to answer those questions first? Uh, say yes or no, depending on what you desire. Yeah, I just feel it's a very um, hot topic. It's very emotive for a lot of people. And if it's, it, it's important that we're clear about what we're saying and the, the messages that we're giving to everyone, I, I feel that's... Is that okay? Yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, just a quick one. How, s for a child, how subtle the sexual abuse is, can be from... Oh, I don't feel it subtle at all. I mean, what... What constitutes... You mean, yeah. how does a child feel abused sexually? Uh, no, I mean... No, I mean, I mean, like, if a man is just projecting sexually to his daughter, how does the daughter feel about that? Yes, how, how s the projections, how subtle... Them, yes. Maybe the occasional well, keys or... Well, for example, if an adult male has a feeling, a sexual feeling towards his own daughter, whether he acts upon that feeling or not, the daughter will feel that feeling and it will feel quite bad for her. Now, she may, in fact, find herself acting in a couple of different ways as a result. She may then feel like very attracted to daddy because daddy's giving her feelings that she doesn't recognise and, and, and cannot separate as feelings only going that should be only going to her soulmate. And as a result of that, she starts feeling feelings for her dad that she doesn't understand, right? And that causes a distortion in all of her subsequent sexual relationships, right? So just the feeling of sexual attraction coming from a parent towards a child or an adult towards a child is automatically disturbing for the child if the child is open and unprotected from that feeling. So, so um, can we say that any extra special, you know, the ex extra special attention besides your soulmate or your partner to anyone is a sexual... Uh well, let, let's raise this issue more fully. Um, if we can. If you think about it, here's a man, here's his wife, right, or his partner, here's the daughter, the child, right? Now, many times the man has certain feelings about his wife and his wife has certain feelings about him. Now, when his wife does not return the feelings that he's expecting from her as a part of love and he remains in a relationship with her, if there is another woman or girl around him, he will begin projecting some of those feelings towards her. Now, they might not be sexual feelings. They might be feelings of, 
Like, I want a woman to listen to me. So instead of projecting, I want my soulmate or my wife or my partner to listen to me, and the wife has said, no, no, I don't want to listen to you. Like, I'm tired of listening to you or I'm tired of listening to men or I don't want to listen to men. So she's blocked to that. What then happens is she's not giving that back. So what he does is he substitutes his daughter in place of his wife for that feeling, right? And the daughter will often then engage it because she wants daddy's approval and acceptance and love and attention and so forth. And now the daughter has supplanted or replaced one of the roles that the wife by nature should have in the relationship. Sometimes it's even not a role that the wife would lovingly have. It may be that he's very demanding. Uh, I mean, it's it's a role that he expects the woman to have. Yes. So what he expects from the woman. He is now no longer expecting it from his wife or partner, but now he's expecting it from his daughter. Now, this automatically creates a distortion in his relationship with his daughter. It also creates a distortion in her. She is now going to have an undue connection with her father that, that normally she would be giving to her soulmate, right? somebody else instead. So now there's a tie. Now, this man might project or have another expectation of his wife that she does other things. So, so for example, that, she, that he, she likes his body. Right? So he might parade around naked in front of his wife, like, wanting his wife to like his body, and his wife doesn't like his body. So he continues to parade around naked, right? but now he parades around naked in front of his daughter. Wanting his daughter is going to be a projection. You like my body, you like my body. Now he's still not engaged with any sexual act with his daughter, but now if she then accepts that projection and says, Daddy, I, you know, like, and has the feeling of liking Daddy's body, can you see now she is going to want somebody that has the same body as Daddy to connect to sexually? So it's distorting her desires and passions even further. Now he might have another emotion that he first attempts to go to his wife, where he wants his wife to recognise that he is the provider and supporter of the family, he's the, provide, he's the man, man who makes everything secure. And she might go, you know, you don't make me feel secure, I'm totally able to be care for myself, thank you very much. So now, he, if he's still in his expectation and his addiction, he then projects at his daughter, make... I am the person who protects you and I am the person who makes you feel secure and I am the person who makes you feel safe. Now she, of course, doesn't have the same feelings as the wife and so she will feel back to him. Yes, Daddy, you make me feel safe and secure. I love this relationship with you. It makes me feel like I'm a good woman and I'm I'm safe and secure. Can you see what's happening? Now, he still may have sex with his wife and she still may give him to him sexually, that might be still happening. But all of these other emotions that would normally go to his soulmate in a pure relationship or heal his expectations if they were out of place or out of harmony with love, he would need to heal them. Instead of healing them, he's now projecting them at his daughter. And his daughter is going to respond emotionally to that because she is undeveloped She's unable to determine whether this is right or wrong. She's unable to say, no, you know, I shouldn't have this with daddy, I should have this with my soulmate or whatever. 
And she will actually finish up having a very, very close bond with her father that she doesn't wish to give up. And in fact, she might in her adult life, she may grow up to be an adult woman, so here she is as an adult woman now, grown up, able to engage sexually with other men and so forth, and she engages with other men sexually, but every other part of the soulmate relationship is actually aimed at her father still. And he treats this person okay as long as this person doesn't take away any of these other emotions that she, he's getting from her. So while he, she's getting a feeling, while she's giving him a feeling like you're my safety and you're my security, she's fine. But as soon as she projects that at this man, he is now jealous of this man and gets angry and upset and all sorts of things start happening, right? Now, these dynamics are very, very common. None of them come from a sexual injury in the sense of a sexual, like where the sexual incest has actually occurred, but there are sexual injuries that causes the man to not deal with the issue with his partner and causes them instead to seek these same emotions from his daughter. And Does it actually sense? creates a great deal of sexual injury in the daughter. In the daughter. Yeah. She will then act upon these injuries with other males as a result of the injuries that have been created in her. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like yeah. a soul-based sexual energy exchange. Yes, yeah. well, it, he might actually feel that she should be asexual. So he might project that at her. A good woman doesn't have sex with anybody. He might project that at her, right? And she says, no worries, Daddy. A good woman doesn't have sex with anybody. I'm a good woman, so I'm not going to have sex with anybody. I'm not going to actually connect sexually with anybody. So, but then she might, want, uh, she might want to have attention or she might want to have affection. So how does she get this? She either gets the affection from her father, in other words, he gives her the hugs and she sits on his lap and he gives her the hugs and so forth, or she tries to get it from another male with the competition of her father, which he doesn't like. So he, she has to risk the anger and rage of her father in order to join with another male in that regard. And because she's received this message that a good woman is asexual, uh, as soon as she tries to connect sexually with another man, there's huge amounts of shame triggered within her. Because cause a good woman is asexual and not, not a sexual being. Mm. Can you see how a distorted relationship between a... Uh, really, it's the unhealed emotions in this dynamic that create the desires being pushed to the child which then means the child now has these unhealed emotions sexually and now when the child enters a relationship as an adult, it's now in competition, there's competing factors. There's this man's competing with this person for her sexual interest. Right? And so can a soulmate joining actually occur if this is a soulmate? No. A soulmate joining cannot occur until she heals these unfortunate unfortunate uh, injuries within herself and while she goes through the process of attempting to do that it's highly likely she's going to receive her father's rage at the same time because he's used to getting all these emotions from her so in the perfect family uh, a man will just engage in um, energy exchange with the partner only and just show an, an example to the child. So in a perfect family, let's look at what would happen in a perfect family where the emotions, even if the emotions aren't healed, in a good relationship, what will happen 
is mum and dad will have these exchanges. He will have a feeling, she will have a feeling, he will have a feeling, she will have a feeling. Now, some of the exchanges where, are where he will have a feeling for her, but she doesn't have a corresponding feeling for him. The first thing he would need to do is begin to first, firstly question himself. Do I have an unloving expectation of my wife? Is that why she's not giving me this thing? He needs to work his way through that. Now, if he's worked his way through that and he feels that what is, you know, the exchange is a loving exchange, then what he would need to do is talk to her about that and she would need to look at it. So, so for example, if he always listens to her but she never listens to him, now that's an unloving exchange, isn't it? One person is listening, the other person is not. Now, what he would need to do then is say, okay, why is it you do not want to listen to me? He would firstly need to feel some grief about the fact she doesn't want to listen to him. But instead, what often happens is he says, right, my wife's not listening to me, so instead I'll get the next girl in my family, whoever that happens to be, sometimes it's his mother rather than his wife, but sometimes it's his daughter rather than his wife or a cousin or, you know, or a, or, or a niece or uh, other than his wife. Yeah. Daughter-in-law even, right? He will look for another woman to fulfill that emotionally. Right? And it's the process of looking for the other woman to fulfill it emotionally that creates the emotional damage in the other person. Now, he would still have exchanges with his daughter, obviously, but they wouldn't be based on the soulmate relationship. Yeah. They wouldn't be, he wouldn't be trying to get from his daughter what he would normally get from a partner. Well, if he's a really loving dad, he's not trying to get anything from her. Does that make sense? He would engage her free will. He completely. would just love her. He would just love her, care about her, and teach her, teach about her, her about own her will. own will and her own desires. He wouldn't impose any of his own desires upon her. Does that make sense? It was a good question, actually. Yep, it, was good. it was a subject, actually, myself and Mary wanted to cover as well. Yep. Yep. Now, in a normal relationship that seems relatively happy, <laughs> let's discuss that. So we have oops, the woman in the relationship, the male in the relationship. If it seems happy, <coughs> and it may be, happy, there is only one of a couple of different possibilities. One is that they are in many codependent addictions with each other. In other words, I desire that a woman listens to me and Mary always listens to me. As long as you... <laughs> but as long as house. I make her feel safe. Yeah. So she desires that I make her feel safe and I always make her feel safe. Right? Now, I suggest to you that while that relationship will feel very harmonious, it is actually not a soulmate relationship because while I have an expectation and, and a demand that something get fulfilled, I am not loving actually. So if I have a feeling inside of myself that I want to make Mary feel safe, the question has to be asked, well, why doesn't Mary feel safe already without me being in her life? And is that love making her feel safe? Surely she needs to feel her fear of unsafety and then once she gets through that, she'll automatically feel safe. She won't need me to make her feel safe. You see, love doesn't need the other person to give it anything. 
So if, as soon as I require something of Mary, then I am being unloving. But you see, what happens on, most, on the earth most of the time is the opposite to this. I have an emotion at Mary, just even simple emotions like, a good woman will always make my dinner every night. Just a simple emotion like that. Right? And Mary feels like, yes, I want to make his dinner every night. That's my role. That's how I feel. That's how I feel important, important. and like I'm, I'm good. We are now in a codependent addiction. We are now sympathetic in our attraction. It'll feel great because I get my meal every night and Mary gets to feel important every night. It'll feel great to both of us, but the reality is that there is still healing to happen in the relationship. Now, anything like that is going to mean also generally that we're open sexually to each other. So while Mary is meeting my codependent addictions and she is meeting, uh, sorry, and I'm meeting her addictions, there's a high likelihood we'll also have some sexual bond during that state. But it's when you no longer meet the addiction, it's interesting what happens then, right? So, so for example, if Mary no longer met my addiction, so I come home from a hard day's work and there's no meal. And I find Mary's been out there by the pool for the whole day and there's no meal. And I've been hard at work out, you know, chipping away at concrete or something all day. So I, what am I feeling now? I'm now feeling, wow, my addiction is not met. No, of course I don't feel that, do I? Because I don't even recognise it's an addiction. I just feel she doesn't love me immediately. Right? Because I'm no longer getting this addiction met, I then automatically go into the state, what's happening? Have you got another guy? <laughs> what happened to my meal? You know, like it goes from one state to a completely different state many times as a result. And, and usually it's because... And from that, from that particular night, do you think that I'm going to be very attracted to Mary? No. Because my addiction is not getting met and I'm angry. I'm upset. And anger is a major impediment to sexual attraction. Now, what we need to do is understand that uh, many times this codependent relationship exists in a relationship and one or both need to have the desire to challenge it if, if we want to grow. If we want to grow. God. Yep. Does that make sense? Now, we, many people don't want to grow towards God and they're perfectly happy in staying in a codependent addiction with their partner all their life. And, I'm say, and I say to you, well, fair enough, if that's what you want to do, you're allowed to do that because you've got your life and it's your life, nobody else's. You're allowed to stay in these very seemingly happy codependent addiction roles with each other if that's what you wish. But what I'm saying is that is not a soulmate relationship. And it also means that you'll never be at one with God because you have codependent addictions. It means that you have expectations and demands which are unloving. And anything that's unloving in us has to be confronted if we're going to become at one with God. So as long as you both have a strong desire for God, there's a good chance that you'll want to deal with any codependent addictions within you. Does that make sense? As long as you both have a desire for God. But if you don't have a desire for God and you only have a desire for each other and you feel quite happy and you're happy with this, you know, I do things for you, you do things for me type thing going on for the rest of your life, then you'll probably stay the rest of your life in that relationship and feel quite content about the relationship. 
but that is not a soulmate relationship. That's only two people getting what they want from each other. And eventually the process of barter, which is essentially what's happening there, can get very tiring and taxing and anger can start to build. And this is when sexual relationships start to disconnect because I might just start feeling like it's just always expected and, you know, I don't want to make your dinner and actually I don't, you know, I might keep making your dinner and suppress the rage and... And be resentful. And have a... Then I want distance sexually. Mm. So what happens, what will happen in the relationship if, if the sexual connection starts separating, that's a very good indication that other things in the relationship are in denial. Not the sexual connection, but other things. Does, that, does everyone follow that? Like other things such as what's happening from a love perspective between the two of us. So, so I might still have the demand upon Mary to cook my meal every night. She now feels annoyed with this demand. So she's done it for 20 years now. Well, you'd be annoyed after 20 years of get, having to make every, the evening meal every night and nobody makes an evening meal for you. Like, isn't that quite annoying? Sooner or later it's going to be. But she might deny that. She might say to herself, oh, I've got a loving relationship, everything's fine. There's just this one thing that's a bit of a problem. But well, very often we don't even acknowledge that one thing, do we? We just submerge it and suddenly, oop, no sexual desire. And all of a sudden, I don't feel anything or she doesn't feel anything to actually desire to make love, right? And then as a result of that, I'm going, she doesn't want to make love to me anymore. I go, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why don't we want, you know, what's it? And she just says, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. There's something, you know, I just don't feel sexy anymore or sexual desire mm. for you anymore. And we can be in so much denial that we don't even know. What's happening? What's actually really happening? The other thing that can happen is also that we're in strong addiction with each other and for the early part of our relationship, that creates a sexual connection because there's this feeling, oh, you make me feel nice, I make you feel nice. We have a sexual sex life. It's regular and we feel like it's quite enjoyable. But say I'm a woman who's carrying a lot of shame from my mother and some abuse in my childhood and some issues that happened when I was at high school... Um, I've suppressed them, suppressed them. Now, earlier in my life, I can get over those things because this nice feeling thing and we just have sex and it's... But eventually, the suppression is is building and it's going to start to create anger inside of me. And um, then I can suddenly feel like, oh, I don't have a sexual desire at all and not understand why in the same way. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Now, I put to you that God created every single being in, on, you know, every single human soul to enjoy the soulmate relationship. And when you enjoy the soulmate relationship, you will wonder what you were missing, you know, and why you had ever contemplated any other relationship, right? And this is the problem on the planet, is we often are in so much fear about losing our current relationship that we don't embrace the potentialities that are available to us. So what I suggest is that you may even be with your soulmate but not be in a soulmate relationship. Because remember soulmate relationships based on purity of truth, desire and purity of love. That's when the soulmate relationship really starts developing. My suggestion is if you're in a good relationship, then start asking yourself, is it purity in truth? Is it purity in desire? Am I allowed to have my desires... Do, I, Do I enable the desire of the of other the person? Other. Do I even know what my desires are? Or are they suppressed as well? 
and, and start working on all those. Now, as you start working on all of those, whether you're the male or the female in the relationship, the other person, whether they like it or not, is go are going to be challenged by these new changes in yourself. Well, if you think about it, if, I've got, if we're in codependent addiction, many of them, the more I start to break down those and say, oh, hang on, maybe that's not loving or maybe I don't desire that, I'm going to try and do something that doesn't need a need a um, an arrow back. It doesn't need a de demand met, yes. in other words. Yep. yep. I'm going to follow my desire. I'm going to try and love impurity my partner and not, not give him what he needs to feel good in this moment because I'm breaking the addiction. It's going to be very challenging for both of us. It's going to feel a bit rocky. Yeah. But what I suggest is that eventually, if you can do that, you will get closer and closer to the soulmate relationship. Now, if the soulmate relationship is that such that this person is not your soulmate, but rather somebody else's, sooner or later, both of you will recognise this at some point. You'll recognise, wow, we are very different in desires. We are very different with our personality we are very different. And in fact, in the past, what we've been doing is just pandering to each other's addictions, right? Just doing what the other person demanded, and that made us both feel good. But now that we're not doing what the other person demanded and we're connecting with our own desires and our own passions, instead of it drawing us together, it's pulling us apart, right? Now, that's a sign that something is wrong, right? In other words, when I say something is wrong, it means that firstly, we must have been in a codependent relationship. And secondly, there's a chance that this person is not my soulmate. Just a chance. Mm. Because we don't know for certain until both of us engage our desires and passions and both of us speak the truth and both of us act in harmony with love with each other. We won't know for certain what the choice is. For both won't know for certain. One might, but the other one might not. Now... In terms of what do I do, I've got children and, and all of a sudden I realise that, you know, someone's not my soulmate and, and I no longer feel the sexual attraction to them. My suggestion is this, quite simple. While you feel a sexual attraction for somebody and you're in a relationship with them, then you are in harmony with at least one of your desires. Does that make sense? So while you feel a sexual attraction for somebody and you're in a relationship with them, you are in harmony with one of your desires. As soon as you choose to leave that person because you think somebody else is your soulmate and there is no sexual attraction with your soulmate, why would you do such a thing in the first place? Do you, yeah. do you see what I'm saying? Why, why would you leave a person if there's, no, if there's no sexual attraction with the other person but there remains a sexual attraction with the person you're with. Why would you leave them? Conversely, if here you are and here your husband, partner is and over here is another person that you've met and you're constantly thinking about them, constantly feeling for them, now you've got to have some issues of truth. One Remi issue yeah. is truth is how are you treating this person this person not this person this person you're with you need to treat this person with love and truth you need to tell them that you keep you keep thinking about this person you need to tell them that for some reason there's an attraction in that direction 
and you don't understand why. Now, that attraction may be based on error. And if it is, and if you talk about it, you both will feel closer. This relationship will feel closer. If it's, if, it, if it's based on truth, then you may eventually, as you grow, you go, no, I can no longer engage this relationship sexually. I still love the person, and I still feel feelings for the person of love, but I no longer can engage them sexually because it doesn't feel right anymore. If that was the case, you could still remain even living together for a little while just to test that out, couldn't you? You could still stay together, test that out. How is this working? What happens here? You could stay doing that until such a time as it becomes clear to you that it's unloving for you to stay in that relationship. Yeah. I don't ever suggest to a person that they just go, oh, that person's my attraction, I'm going to go them straight away. And all of a sudden, all of this is put apart. And this person may be your soulmate. And even if they're not, why do you, why do you not desire to love them? Yeah. So if you've been in a relationship with them for 20 years, you've had three kids, and, you know, you, you've been... And you realise even you, you find this teaching or whatever and you realise, wow, actually I think we're in a lot of codependent addiction. And you annoy me now. I'm just going to rub you out and go and sleep with this guy who I met at a seminar who I you know, feel really hot for. Yeah. Yeah. That would be so unloving. And the basis of the teaching is about love and truth. Yeah. Yep. It's not working. It's just saying it's there. Can we have the other mic? Thanks. Yeah. Quite a few hours. I have this example of a very close friend in Austria who I absolutely adore. We go back a long way and she was married for 18 years and I idolized them as a couple. I loved her husband very much and um, she then, and they went through a lot together, lost a child, he had cancer and then she met this guy and fell so madly in love with him. He had four kids as well and the wife was, was suffering from depression and she, she fought, they fought it like crazy. They fought it. They didn't see each other for three months. My friend became almost suicidal mm. uh, and lost like 15 kilos. And in the end, they decided to go for it. And um, you cannot imagine the hatred they faced from society, from people, the judgment. Mm. Uh, her ex-husband her husband even threatened to kill her. Mm. I mean, they went through hell, but they stuck together. They had for years six kids which they had to take on holiday and everything, financial downturn. Yeah. They eventually got married. They're now married seven years. And every time I go home, I say, Doris, was it worth it? You... And if I see them, this couple together, it's like I see almost stars between them. And yeah. I just, I, this is why I asked for the example. I don't judge them. And yeah. It taught me a lot about not judging people. Had a guy done it, we'd all said, you know, bastard, typical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this was a friend that I loved and it yeah. happened to her. Yeah. And I can just explain it with the soulmate theory because yeah. they've been through so much. And she says, Gudrun, if I hadn't done it, I never knew that such love existed in yeah. life. Yeah. And she doesn't regret it. Yeah. Now, I put to you that the husband who then threatened to kill her as a result of her actions obviously never loved her in the first place because you can't love somebody one minute and then want to kill them the next he must have been in a codependent addiction with her. Otherwise, he would never have threatened such a thing. See, a person who loves doesn't threaten the person they love when the person they love doesn't know any longer do what they want. Yeah. My last question was, can you justify 
you know, going for that, even though you're hurting so many people in the process. Not, no, I suggest to you, you're not hurting this person at all. But the children and... Uh, you're not hurting the children either. I don't believe you're hurting the children. The children will, if there's children involved in this particular partnership, they will feel automatically the codependent addictions between those two, right? They will already know there's something not quite right with this relationship. They will already feel also, if I stay in this relationship, that they will then begin to believe that they have to deny love before they do anything. Does that make sense? That's what they will start feeling. And, and as a result of that, they will grow up denying love and having a lot of other emotional turmoil in their lives as a result of their denial of love. So, so we've got to be very careful, you see. The turmoil usually only results because one or both are not loving. So uh, what I put to yeah. you is that she, by say, staying separate from this guy and, and then you know, talking to her husband, I don't know how it happened, but if it happened in a manner that... that you she, know, she owned was, the desire and said, look, this is what's happening. I need to talk to, to you first because you're my husband. Uh, I need to I, examine whether this is loving or addiction. I need to know inside of myself that this is not based on an avoidance of something. If she then, if she went through that whole process for three months, if that's what happened... Endured some of his rage and anger as a result, even in that process, although why she has to endure it, <laughs> she doesn't have to. But let's say she did. And then, and then she still decided, no, I've got to be with this man after all of that. Then, then she has acted appropriately with this man. She has acted in harmony with integrity and love and truth with this man. So she has actually loved this man. Now, if he then goes and says, I'm going to kill you if you leave, who's now acting lovingly? He, he certainly is not. And if he then goes, the kids should hate you now because you've left, right? Who's now acting unlovingly? Him, not her. He's the one who doesn't want to feel his feelings. He's the one that doesn't want to feel his emotions. He's the one who's blaming the other person for their choices and decisions. He's the one who's controlling. And I put to you that he's always been controlling because you never revert to control unless you've always been controlling. You never revert to a course of action unless you've always been it. It's just that she's always met it. She's always met the control with, a, with the appropriate response up until this point. And that's why they had a seemingly outward, happy relationship. The reality is quite different. The reality is always triggered by the event. So if, if she felt these feelings for another man, if he really loved her and really cared for her, he would not be going, I'm going to kill you if you go with this other man. And he would not be fighting with the, you know, getting the children to fight against her or any of those kind of things if he really loved her or cared for her. He would say to her, you go with this man and determine whether that makes you happy or not and I will deal with my grief about that particular situation. That's what he would do if he really loved her. So I put to you that he didn't really love her. He was just in an addiction with her. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. Yeah, just referring to the kids, um, my parents stayed in a relationship for a long time and I felt like that was really unloving all my time and I felt, oh, it's my fault that they are st still together and stuff. And now they finally broke up and I felt such a relief and I, it was quite easy to work to the, through the emotion like of I'm the fault and I'm the mistake. And yeah. Mm. yeah. Like it was such a relief just the... Yeah. And now they are following more their passions and even though it's quite triggering for them, it's really great. 
Yeah, and and it's interesting, isn't it, how often the parents think they're staying together for the children. Yeah, and it's the reality so is the children mm-hmm. feel like they're being blamed for all yeah. of the problems the parents are having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the reality, and we need to stop blaming the children for the reason why they stay together or go apart, and we need to instead own our emotions about, do I love this person still? Do I not? You see, from God's perspective, this relationship, this original relationship, is only a relationship, is only a marriage if both love. So if this person loves this person and this person loves this person, love is the binding force of any relationship. So while love is present, those two, in God's eyes, are married. As soon as love is not present, and this can happen on a daily basis, by the way, from God's eyes point of view, they are no longer married. They are now in opposition to each other. They now have anger or resentment or other feelings going towards each other. Now, obviously, the first thing we'll try to do is heal those. And once we heal those and we get more and more closer in love, if we find we're activating our desires, activating truth, activating our passions, and reality is we love each other, but we no longer feel a sexual bond with each other, then it's highly likely that this person is not our soulmate. Somebody else is. And we would be perfectly happy to separate, even if we had children. We'd be perfectly happy to separate and work through the emotions of finding the soulmate at some point and attracting them through this pure attraction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Most people have a lot of judgment of that. So most people, like I've even had the media at the moment, they're saying that I break up relationships. And uh, the reality is that my feelings are that even if these two are not soulmates and eventually they break up in a, in a sexual relationship, they break up from a sexual relationship, these two, if they practice the principles that we're teaching, will still love each other. They will still treat each other kindly and they will still take responsibility for their children and they will still treat their children kindly. That's what will definitely happen. If that is not happening, then one or both of them is not lo- are not loving each other. Mm-hmm. Quite simple. Okay. Now we haven't covered all things, but yep. uh, but the time that we have is up. So so um, obviously we probably want to discuss more about these issues of the um, the list that we made of the taboos, because at some point in the future we would like to cover many of those taboos and talk openly about the emotions involved with the, pra- the, with the sexual practices that we engage in. But what we would like to encourage you to do before then is to consider this as a possible truth, this tr- possible truth that when our sexual attraction is pure and our desires are pure and our love is pure, when we're healed, the sexual attraction will only be for our soulmate. Consider that as a possible truth and then Allow yourself to look at the relationships you're in or the relationships, if you're not in a relationship now, look at the relationships you've had in the past and examine them from this perspective about whether things were pure or not or whether instead there are expectations, addictions and, uh, and demands that were being made upon each other. 
And I found it really helpful to go back and look at my relationship and sexual history and look at who I had attracted, what kind of interaction I had had with them, how I felt, what my perception of that interaction had been and what it was now. And it, it helped me identify a lot of expectations I had with the opposite gender, but also a lot of the way I felt it was okay to treat myself in those situations and a lot of the barter that I was willing to enter. Why did, I do, why did I enter this exchange? What did I get from it and what was I willing to give to get that? It helped me really look, start to be very real about the injuries I was carrying. Yeah. Now, we'd like to, I'd like to recommend a book that uh, if you want to investigate these things further. Um, this is a book that both myself and Mary have read and we both quite enjoyed. While we don't agree with every book that... We don't agree with everything in every book that we recommend... This is a really good book if you really want to sincerely examine the attractions that you have going on. It has some wonderful exercises in it. Some of them are quite funny exercises. It's called Are You the One for Me by Barbara DeAngelis. Um, so a very, very good book to buy. Um, don't buy it for the library because you're going to need it longer than that. Trust me. So I would buy it yep. and, and look at it and examine it carefully and do many of the exercises in it to help you work through these issues of you attraction, know, attraction in yep. particular. Attraction. And can I just recommend another book um, that maybe some of you will be interested in? And it will help you, particularly with issues of abuse or things like that. The Body Never Lies by Alice Miller. That is just a powerful book. For a, a lot of the work of Alice Miller, she's a psycho. She passed just recently. I think she was German, and I think her work is actually originally in German, but translated to English, yeah. Um, yeah, she talks a lot about the truth about emotions, childhood, and body, your body, trusting your body to, yeah. to tell your story. Very so. good books, both of yeah. them. This one's more, a bit more emotionally focused. Yep. This one is a little bit more intellectually, intellectually focused, yeah. but uh, both very, very good books. So we'd like to recommend those to you. So what we'd like also to recommend to you is to consider the truth about attraction, soul, sexual attraction, and that is when it's pure, it will only ever be for one person. Right? And while many of you may consider, and many of the people listening to these videos may consider that that would be boring, trust me, it is definitely not boring. Right? So that's a <laughs> okay, thanks, so, thanks for your yeah, time thank today. You, everyone. Never, I'm never bored by my girl, ever. <laughs> Okay. So tomorrow, tomorrow do you um, just question and answers. Yeah, tomorrow what we were thinking is the first half of tomorrow, we would perhaps do some question and answers about personal emotional matters, if you would like them answered. God uh, and God. Rela matters relating to God and so forth and connection with God, if you wish. Um, we, are, we are soon not going to do many of those because we feel that we've answered so many questions about personal emotional matters and now we're starting to answer them again and again and again and, and it can be 
Uh, we'd rather move on to some new topics that we've yet yeah. to present. And can I, can I make that suggestion that we have general question and answer, but perhaps consider some of the questions you might have about connection with God and this relationship with God rather than um, always focusing on the personal emotions. Have a feel about what is this, you know, this relationship with God that we're, that we're encouraging you in. What are the blocks I feel there? And perhaps we can be instrumental in helping with some of those things yeah. yeah the second yeah you can the second thing that we would like to discuss with you is the um with the um learning center learning center pro- pro- proposed options for a learning center in the yeah. european region and um, the reason why we would like to discuss that is that there are some things that we have learnt in the setting up of such a center that are very very handy um, that you might want to consider. Like logistical things. Like logistical yep. things. And there are also then some emotional things that you may wish to consider as well um, in terms of the setting up of a centre. And uh, we will also discuss with you um, where we believe uh, some ideal locations would be as well. Uh, and we can mention all of those things in that discussion. Um, so so f- uh, we would probably have maybe an hour and a half the first session tomorrow and then probably two and a half hours discussing this other this other stuff about the uh, potential learning center in Europe does that make sense so that's where we'll leave it today and we'll see you tomorrow at 1 30 if you'd like to come if you want to be here yeah oh and thank you for your donations too thank you thank you thank you guys